I've been thinking about time passing and our generation oh, no. gradually getting older. Don't do that. Yeah, it's it's a great series of thoughts. But <laughs> Generation Y, it's it's getting on a bit now. Mm. And I was just thinking, do you remember that in 2005, Blue Water Shopping Center in Kent banned hoodies? Did you hear about this, wherever you were? Oh, I, it happened in quite a few places, I think. My hometown was very much mm. a, yeah, no, no hoodies, no caps. Blue Water was the first. Blue Water led the way in terms of banning hoodies. Yeah, pioneers. And, um, pioneers Prejudice in their pioneers. own way. And I've... <laughs> well, I thought of that today, and I'm not sure why. But yeah, they banned hoodies. It was, on a, it was in national headlines. And as a result of doing so, 25% more shoppers uh, showed up the following weekend. Huh. Because, you know, prejudice and yeah. people afraid of youth. Gang, gangs of mean-looking kids. racial <laughs> aspect, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it occurred to me, there's no way that little piece of information is going to make it out of our generation. That is going to die with Generation Y. Yeah. You know, as we get older, it's going to be an item on a Channel 5 documentary, lol at the noughties, <laughs> when they'll have fucking yeah. Titchy Strider or something appear in order to talk about what he can remember <laughs> That's about a good the fabled decade. That's pretty good, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Impressed. <laughs> and then, a pub, then there'll be a pub quiz question. You know, what notorious item of clothing, etc. And then a mm. crossword clue. And then it'll just sort of fade into a kind of folk knowledge preserved only by me and the surviving members of the So Solid crew. Because <laughs> you have been talking to them a lot recently. And they've got, <laughs> they've got their own plans of dealing with the apocalypse. <laughs> it's just going to be me and them in the end. But which one's <laughs> going to survive? You, you, the worst ones. All the worst. All the hoodie wearing ones. That's the, that's the real killer. Oh, shit. And we're going to fucking tape Blue Water back. Hello, welcome to One Good Thing podcast that knows exactly what year it is stop writing in <laughs> oh shit look another intro <laughs> that for some reason was placed beneath the strap line oh <laughs> is it funnier than the one i just did maybe this time next year we could review our top 10 favorite bits of the room we're trapped in <laughs> it's pretty, that's good, pretty good but that's not bad i didn't mention mid noughties garage slash hip-hop combo <laughs> The, the, the so solid crew is the main disadvantage. My fav- my favorite bit is the bit I've reserved for so solid crew. Because <laughs> one one day they will turn up. They're like Santa, <laughs> but slower. As the legend foretold, it's slightly more inexplicable in this in this one. <laughs> Didn't quite arrive. We we hit the same beats, but it wasn't as natural. We have to say. But yes, welcome once again to one good thing, the podcast <laughs> that's like a fine wine. It gets smellier every year. I'm Paul Musk. <laughs> <laughs> I'm poorly here every year. <laughs> I usually start. <laughs> now I'm going to talk about how I usually start an episode. Great. <laughs> this is I... great. I... It's like Stuart <laughs> Lee. It's like uh, this. This is like constructing. This is what we do. <laughs> now I usually start these movies by jokingly reviewing that the year we've just had, um, as if it were a movie. But what the fuck am I going to say about 2019? How was it? Did we all stay inside for months on end whilst thousands of our fellow human beings died prematurely? Oh, the House impeached Donald Trump. Well, where the fuck is your precious Senate now? Vote this <laughs> shit down. 
Well, we are nearly a third of the way through the year 2020, and so of course it's time to conclusively announce our favourite films of 2019. Had some thought about it. Yeah, we, we gave, had some We gave thought. it some of our precious time. Yep, we've caught up on all those pesky little award season favourites that seem to spill the bank of UK and Aussie release dates. Yeah. But actually, what better time could there be to reflect on the finest films of that great halcyon year, 2019? Everybody's stuck inside, hungering for something that's new, but not that new. <laughs> yeah, no, honestly, not. This, even this <laughs> is pushing it. <laughs> even this content you're listening to right now. I highly <laughs> recommend some of our earlier episodes. The, the innocent ones. <laughs> the, the, the innocent ones. The ones before we all beat our old, old ladies to death just for that last can of Marifat peas. <laughs> when, when, when the most concerning thing was how early into the podcast career do you make a joke about shattering Amy Adams's pelvis? Oh yeah, we did jo- We did talk about that. Right back yeah. in episode one. Why not check it out for some much needed context to that comment? <laughs> <laughs> How do they shatter it? How do they plan on doing it? Are they into it? How did they bring it up? How horny was it? These questions <laughs> and more await you on our still most listened to episode. <laughs> <laughs> Which is really, really cannot discourage enough. <laughs> we cannot discourage it enough. Go listen now. So, as usual... Myself and Goodman shall alternate Hello. going through our top 10 favourite films um, of this year, year 2019. And if we have any films in common, then that item shall be spoken about first by whomever ranked it higher on their list. Yes. It happened seven times this year. Yeah, what a fucking year. Jesus, seven films appeared on both lists. I am distressed at how common that is for us. <laughs> We've had seven, exactly seven films in common. For three out of the four times we've done this. Really? Yes, we had it in 2016 and 17. Last year we only had one film in common, in what I thought represented the first step in us finally becoming different people. No, just chance. (laughs) There's a communication error. To be honest, it it kind of feels like a symptom of how weak last year was for films. There wasn't the same barnstormers that took us both by, you know, storm. Hmm. Us barns. <laughs> the same, yeah, they weren't the same barns that took us by storm. Yeah, I, it, I guess it, not. Yeah. We had to think about what was more relevant to us or something instead. Oh, Jesus, Ridiculous. hideous. We um, couldn't get behind some sort of vaguely held consensus as to what the best films were. I really thought, going like forward through this year, this weird, mm. naive year, that um, we were going to have a lot less in common because I, I seem to remember mm. a few more times of you going, this is the best film of the year. And I went, oh, fuck off. <laughs> I don't believe that for a second. But then you watch them. That was the disadvantage. Yeah, don't do that. Don't ever do that. <laughs> Cannot oh, discourage God. that enough. But yeah, no, I, I, like because I know I knew there were a few in mind that weren't in yours, and I thought, okay, mm. veering away here a little bit. Pretty cool. Yeah. Pretty pretty <laughs> new, nouveau, nouveau Paulo. Um, nouveau but, vague. But but no, fuck it. I actually yeah, spent the yeah. last couple of weeks of isolation just watching all the films I was supposed to watch, and they were the better ones. <laughs> well, I think this is good. We've got seven films that we can kind of bond over and sort of talk about together, and then three films that will just completely divide us as people, and it'll yeah. be interesting to see what those say about us and yeah. our particular kinks. And what we say about each other because of those disagreements. Yeah. <laughs> Later on, we shall talk about some omissions and talk about the highest grossing films of the last year, and the OG team! What? They've all been writing in, we've asked them not to, but uh, <laughs> many of them have submitted their favourite films of the year, so you'd get all yeah. up in that. We'll have to mention so, it by law. 
bloody into that breach then, friends. Let's talk about our top 10 favourite films. All right, then. Do you want to go first? Oh, go on then. Well, my number 10 is a, is a fan favourite, the London Film Festival. Mm. Uh, the cr- crescendo of, you'd say, the apotheosis. Mm. Um, much to everybody's would. disdain when they really wanted um, the movie Cats by Tom <laughs> Ford, Ford Hooper. I forget which one. Tom Ford, yeah. It's Uncut Gems, everyone. It's Woo! an Adam Sandler film has made it into my top 10. Uh, and it's because it's amazing. It's hell. I made a crazy risk to gamble. It's about to pay off. This is one of the maddening things about Adam Sandler, and we discuss this in pretty much every Adam Sandler episode, mm. <laughs> is that he can be amazing when he tries, when he gives mm. a shit. When, yeah. when he's got somebody there who gives a shit, maybe. Is the other, is <laughs> when the, someone can right utilise how unbearable that. he is and sort of focus yeah. that energy, because he is very much a sort of prick, the character in this. And that's oh, just, like, just totally to, irredeemable. Yeah, it's when um, he doesn't try to play nice guys that it works. Yeah, I mean, he, he's a nice guy in Punch Drunk Love. <laughs> a nice guy of a temper. Yes, he, he means well and just can't control it. So, you know, back off Adam Sandler, Paul, you fucking prick. <laughs> I love um, that guy. Yeah, because he, he is a terrible character. Basically, it's, it's, a, it's a guy with just the hardest gambling addiction. Oh, um, he's a jeweler and it's a movie mm. of trading and cheating people and just yeah. doing anything he can to stay afloat, basically. He owes, mm. um, he owes this guy who has these goons um, a very large amount of money and doesn't seem to be content with just getting that money and, yeah. and, gamb- and paying it back. As soon as he gets a little head, a little, um, a little bit in pocket, head, just a little bit, ahead. yeah, a little bit in pocket, a little head up in the game, he immediately pawns it or puts it on a yeah. bet, or you know. yeah, he's not the victim. He's not like the victim of circumstance where it's just like, oh, he just can't get a break. He is regularly given outs and he does not take them. He 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 just cannot. Whether he like he refuses to, but I feel like he cannot. And yeah. and and you see this like as you get closer to the end that the. the this addiction, this thrill-seeking just has complete hold on him, despite the fact that he is yeah. you know, risking his life at this stage. Yeah. And on, on, on top of that, it is it's such a horrible, grimy world that he's involved in. You, you, yeah. You, you've got, you know, sports sportsmen coming in and getting, like, you're seeing the real ugly side of them where money's involved and owning yeah. the, these just these luxury items. Yeah. And, you know, it's very knowingly starts with this, this shot of an Ethiopian... Um, diamond mine mm. just to put all this into context of how irrelevant all of this really is but yeah. it's th- a thrill for these people especially adam sandler mm. it's like you said it's the pure it's one of the purest representations of addiction mm. you've ever seen it's it's made by the guy guy or guys who did good time uh, guys yes yeah, the safety guys yeah it would be the work of more than one horrible <laughs> mind um <laughs> it's yeah a uh, good time was a, a similarly frenetic mm. and grody feeling sort of movie yeah. <laughs> the whole yeah the feel of everything is the neon lights and the the bleary like vaseline smeared camera and how close everything is, is just everyone. a little bit grainy and you know, including adam sandler's beard and mm. there is a clear sort of moral like high ground that you can see there that that, that, that no one ever takes it's all about these people just ref- refusing or being completely unable to make the right decisions and yeah whilst whilst it is a t- terribly stressful film it is one of the most exciting and just original movies of the year it is it is excellent it really is excellent i mean one of the things that struck me about it is just the sheer relentless stress of it it was yeah. the surprise film at this year's london film festival and it did cause quite a few walkouts including good friend of the podcast katie maiden who found it too oh. anxiety inducing 
And part of the reason for that is everybody's constantly not listening to each other. They're just talking over each other. Yeah. The, the soundtrack becomes this sort of cacophony of people talking, and it just makes you really anxious and uncomfortable in a very good way. <laughs> in, in a perfect way, in, you know, yeah. in a way that it was intended, I'm sure. Absolutely, yeah. It's just, yeah, stress. Oh, pure yeah. stress. Yeah. <laughs> My one best thing about Uncut Gems mm. would be the joy in the eyes of a man who decides to risk it all on one big bet. Yeah. It just it just gets across everything that drives him. His his sole existential existential problem. Yeah. <laughs> and you know the the whole motivation for this for his life really. If that's the scene it's, I'm thinking um, of, it comes right after his big long speech about where he kind of talks himself into it, what he's going to do, and it's yeah, really sublime. Yeah. <laughs> this is me. This is how I win. Okay, my number 10, and my god, number 10 is the hardest position to fill on these lists. Last year, it was a struggle between If Bill Street Could Talk, Wild Rose, and Roma, and Can You Ever Forgive Me? This year, I have just such sublime films, which I'll talk more about in honorable mentions. And I, it came down to two literary adaptations, um, both of which take a lot of really interesting liberties with their text and bring them to life in really interesting ways. In the end, I settled for The Personal History of David Copperfield by Armando Iannucci. Whether I turn out to be the hero of my own story, or whether that station will be held by anybody else, these moments must show. My boyhood days seem now like a scarcely believable fiction. London is full of wonders and wickedness. And it's ours, David, to go wherever we choose. Well, I'm not down there. Creditors make that road impossible. Two tailors and a most unreasonable muffin man. What a sublime retelling of one of um, Dickens' most uplifting books. Um, I saw Iannucci talk about the film at the London Film Festival, and he talked about wanting to kind of rephrase the idea of what people have in their heads as Dickensian. Hmm. Because Dickensian really should only indicate rich characters, a story that's going to address social issues. People have this image of a really black, sooty kind of, you know, industrial London, and... There's a fair amount of desperation in there, of course, and he writes about poverty a lot, but mm. he also writes about hope. He also writes about characters coming out on top, about, well, for the most part, and um, <laughs> sometimes not, sometimes very much not. Yeah. He writes about the, the pluckiness of individuals and of yeah. the generosity of character yes. of all of the people who surround them. And more than anything else, this, this film, Iannucci's film, is about character. It's about a man who decides to make his rich his his riches uh, the company he keeps. Yeah, and it just has this roster of gorgeous characters played by the just the most outstanding cast. What a cast! So yeah, I've seen it with several different groups of people, and mm. every time I do, everybody has a different favorite or character that they really want to talk about more than anyone else. Mm. Um, whether that be um, you know Tilda Swinton as um trotwood or mm -hmm. hugh laurie as mr dick my own personal favorite yeah peter capaldi as mr micawber it's fantastic. um i believe you were particularly unnerved by ben wyshaw's uriah heap oh it's disgusting I, i'm really <laughs> like really troubled by him in the novel as well i i, I find him mm. like a haunting presence and it's <laughs> uh, like a very like just he works so insidiously and they really yeah. picked, up, picked up on that in the movie just see him appearing oh, God, in the background yeah. in certain scenes and <laughs> Oh, it's like the dead photos in the others. It just drills <laughs> yeah. into my soul. Yeah, it's really grim. And um, Daisy May Cooper is Peggy as well. Just it, everyone yeah. in the cast is so amazing. I love um, Morphid Clark as Dora Spenlow. This 
probably the most overtly comedic character. They sound like Thomas Pynchon names sometimes. <laughs> Dora Spenlow is very whatever it is. Ben Mexico. That's pretty Roger good. Mexico. <laughs> Frost Buckley. But <laughs> I think most of all, Dev Patel as the oh, lead yeah. David Copperfield. He keeps the whole he stitches the whole thing together. He's a charismatic presence, really yeah. funny. And yes, so yeah, good. has this great comedic physicality. I've heard comparisons to like Chaplin here and there, and it's just huh. It's just he's got so much going for him, and it's it's just a really endearing film about a guy. Oh, and Benedict Wong, sorry, I really like his yeah. alcoholic accountant. Yeah, it's really funny. It's oh fuck, it's it's yeah. The richness of the film is in its characters. It's incredible cast. It's also got a sublime production quality to it. These really yeah. sort of halcyon depictions of a pleasant Victorian London, which you don't see all that much, and yeah, and beyond, you know, little cities and such, and. Yeah, it's a film that absolutely makes the most of its setting, and I think it's just it's surprising that this has come from Iannucci and his regular screen uh, screenplay uh, co-writer Simon Blackwell. You mm. know, who are typically associated with very funny but quite dark projects. Mm. You know, In the Loop and The Thick of It and um, The Death of Stalin, all very mm. bleak and somewhat somewhat daringly bleak sometimes projects. But this is just unbridled joy and I charm. Would, I would say. It definitely has aspects of it. Having recently mm. watched The Death of Stalin, and because you know mm. David Copperfield is, it's it's, it's one of my favourite books, and it's, it's very hopeful, mm. but there's a lot of melancholy, oh, um, God, yeah. in there, and there are flashes of that Iannucci style. The austerity of Victorian Britain is still there in the movie, and yeah. you'll be walking past, you'll suddenly walk past an alleyway where people are living, or somebody's just mm. spread over rubbish. Um, you know, yeah, not not having a co- home, and it reminded me very much of how it's done in De- Death of Stalin, where somebody there'll be a very cheery, yeah. pro, uh, like party scene going on in, in the foreground, <laughs> and in the background, people are being led off to be shot. And you know, it's, it, that's right. And Peter Capaldi really is a very tragic character in Mister yeah. Micawber, and yet it's it's played just so comedically by him. Yeah, with so much sort of vigor from Capaldi, who again is playing quite against type, but. It just it completely disguises the horror <laughs> of the whole thing, but it does have some very dark moments, like the whole thing yeah. with Steerforth and his um abscondment <laughs> partway yeah. through the story and ultimate fate. It's a deeply unhappy character. So I found parts of it yeah. really dark. Um, mm. it like tied together by the the sort of ch- the, the cheerful whim- whimsy yeah. and the um <laughs> attitude of a lot of the characters. There, it's sort of yeah. in, in spite of the hardships, mm. the the brought down on them um it just made it ever, yeah. ever more relevant i think my favorite moment of david copperfield i really love that opening where he stands before a stage and then he t- gives his first few lines the opening lines of the novel and then suddenly the background whips away and he's mm. just striding across the british countryside towards the house of his birth it's a really bold dramatic opening and i think yeah i think that's um that's all just the very end where all the characters are brought together again that's amazing the, it's a real big very fish quiet moment. A very quiet, sad moment where Dora just um, asks to be written out of the story. Because in the novel, yeah. Dickens didn't really know what to do with her and so just kind of bumped her off. <laughs> um, it's just like, ah, fuck yeah. it, just kill her. In, Which in this, really affected she kind me of... in the novel, you know. It's, um... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very upsetting. Yeah. But um, in, in in the film, just having her sort of take agency in that and sadly sort mm. of decide that she doesn't quite fit in is really quite melancholy and sweet. Yeah. So. My favourite moment somewhere in those. <laughs> Great, okay. <laughs> One of those, fuck it. You know? It'll do. It'll do, said Iannucci. <laughs> you have quite a ride on the way. 
Uh, my number nine is, in fact, your number three. So let's uh, skip Ooh. that. Shout it on the inside and then we'll move on. <laughs> yeah. My number nine being a, it was a one better thing uh, in mm. our Grown Ups 2 episode. Oh, great. <laughs> uh, I think Paul might have mentioned it in a might have missed. It is, of course, greener grass. Julian, are you a dog now? It's him. Oh, Julian, you need your glasses to see the board. I miss Julian. I have Julian here. He's a dog now. Hi, Julian. Raja, you can play with Julian at recess. Oh, yes. Uh, from directors Jocelyn DeBoer and Dawn Lebet. L-U-E-B-B-E. Lebe. 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 Yeah. Lebe. Lebe. One of those. Um, either way, they're both... They're both unbridled geniuses, and this yes. is displayed in this movie. Mm. It's a sort of suburban satire. It, it has flex, I'd say, of Edward Scissorhands, mm. and very much an aesthetic of the black <laughs> of um, Soundgarden's Black Hole Sun video. It, it prides itself on surrealism, I think, and it manages mm. to keep that going from beginning to end of the movie. Mm. It's about the tawdry suburban lives of a couple of you know, a few families going to birthday parties and yeah. going to, and everyone being soccer mums and dads and. Mm the same bullshit about raising <laughs> raising kids trying to get them into a good school and just bragging about their um achievements mm. to other parents um who are all wearing pastel color clothing <laughs> but it is at times even indescribably weird yeah and it, and it prides itself on that and just maintaining that th- from beginning to end mm. um but the real genius of it is like all good satire for me is it may seem like it's a long way off from reality mm. but it doesn't feel like it is it just seems like doesn't feel like exactly <laughs> it is it is so brazenly out there but the sense of ridiculousness that it provokes in me isn't that far off the sense of ridiculousness that i get from suburban life you know they'll, they'll be play, playing watching their kids play soccer and they suddenly realize that it's on an indian burial ground or yeah. we talked about this in the one better thing where um mm. there are at a restaurant Dis- discussing the most banal bullshit yeah. and a waiter comes in and, and <laughs> drops all of their food yeah. and rather than make him feel bad they just crawl over each other to lick her food off the floor and, yeah. the, and it, it's just it's things like that and it doesn't feel like suburbia is all that far away from being a parody of itself like most yeah. things in the world nowadays <laughs> um, and, and you know partly partly that's just the d- distortion that my mind makes of negative things but mm. that's the beauty of satire and, and in a film like this where the performances are so they're, they're so jam-esque yeah um in in their dryness and darkness and, and deadpanness at the same time it's both one of the best comedies of the year mm. that doesn't lose pace that doesn't change its direction for, for the end for a different sort of emotional or action heavy ending mm. it, it it also just just talks about something that isn't doesn't get much screen time anymore because i think like sub, the whole sort of nightmare of suburbia has has been talked about and gone mm. but it's done it in the most original way it really is very very good in that surreal sense and also has that sublime feeling of being two friends just trying to make each other laugh yes. it has that great sort of anarchic feel of a sort of reeves and mortimer style madness yes, and what can we get away with and escalation that just makes it a very a very frantic kind of journey, which I really enjoy. Yeah, I mean, if I had to one, if I had to choose one best thing mm. about this movie, it's probably it's the scene where they're they're in one of the parents' bedrooms and they're they're talking to the kid about their their terrible music recital, mm. and the husband in the is in the background with a shit-eating grin on his face, scooping endless amounts of change from pocket to dresser, um, <laughs> and this this action just continues for the duration of the scene. 
and he he has kilograms of change that he's just emptying onto this dresser Mm. and it's just it is suburban life in a single action (laughs) i have to get out of here out of bounds my number eight is also your number eight Oh. Uh oh. We're gonna have we to talked f- about fuck this. it out again. Well, no. okay. <laughs> Three, nine. two, one. Oh, I won! I won the fuck out, everyone. So you won the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> so I shall talk about waves. Oh. How I do? It's been hard, hasn't it? Let go of a prayer for you. How you doing with everything? I'm good. Just a sweet word. You know, it's okay if you're not. Table is prepared for you. I'm trying to give you the tools to succeed in this world. It's not easy out there. Everything I do is for y'all. Everything. Yes, uh, Trey Edward Schultz uh, had a very memorable entry into my list. And my mouth. No, sorry. In, um, <laughs> when was it comes at night? Oh, there we go. In 2017... Um, he went the fuck out. It comes at night. Fabulous film, fabulous horror film. He returns with something altogether more uh, ambitious, I would say. A, mm. a very personal story about, I guess, ambition and frustration. It's about parenthood and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Uh, ostensibly, it is about a young man uh, played remarkably well by excuse me, uh, Kelvin Harrison Jr. And this Kidney young man, man. is... A very, he's a high achiever, you know, he's in the sports team, he's doing very well at school, he has a job, but he is Mm. constantly sort of up against the expectations um, of his father, played by Sterling K. Brown, in a very intense performance. And he is just constantly trying to, and as Sterling, um, as um, the father says, he's putting all this pressure on there because... They have to try harder than everyone else, and they cannot afford mm-hmm. to be mediocre. There's definitely yeah. a racially driven element there to the um, pressure that he's putting on. And he has a girlfriend, and everything seems to be going okay, but he's running at a rate that cannot be sustainable, and sooner or later something cracks, and he is just not fucking equipped emotionally or mm. just in terms of his support network to deal with what happens when he is no longer able to run at the standard that is expected of him and his life begins to spiral out of control. I don't want to give away too much about the film. It has a lot of surprises for you, a lot of sort of narrative Mm -hmm. twists, but suffice to say that this is a film that really does explore the build-up and then aftermath of a kind of wave of pressure Mm. that crashes and then rolls back again. And it's a really gorgeous film that has extraordinary performances throughout the cast, I particularly yeah. love Taylor Russell as um as the the sister. Um yeah. she is really fantastic and her relationship with Lucas Hedges is just brilliant. Yeah. It's a really warm performance from him as well and they have such great chemistry. A kind of yeah. awkward kind of Moonrise Kingdom-esque children <laughs> prodding at each other's faces. Um style of romantic interaction so so innocence. Yeah. So innocence. He brought such, such, such innocence, innocence to the, to wow. the film and <laughs> wow. <laughs> much blah and yeah he, he, like his his appearance in in the movie was was powerful it it was a light it, yeah it the power to make me smile again um in in the middle of this movie on subsequent rewatches i just thank god when he shows up you know yeah. watching it with jen and david he comes into scene and i'm like oh thank god he's here okay okay guys he said <laughs> you can both stop crying cinema <laughs> 
a difficult one, potentially, but I would urge you all to tr- uh, try it for yourselves, because some movies just evoke summer. You know, a, yeah. a kind of full, foregone summer in such an effortlessly uh, uh, serene way. And when I think about like the trips they go on, sequences so- uh, shot inside of their car, where the car's just gliding and spinning and the, pan, the, the panning camera. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. the first in the first hour or so, even the relaxation scenes are somehow stressful, you know? Somehow just yeah. building into this intensity. Expecting but, something to happen. Yeah. Um, always. Just this constant idea that you're always being watched. You're at a pool party, you're hanging out with your friends. Yeah. That's cool. You're being watched. Fucking yeah. <laughs> be good. Someone's you know? got it on Instagram. Yeah. It's just, yeah, a constant sense of just there are expectations here that you need to be living up to. And that just yeah. fucking disappears um, uh, in the last half of the movie. And it's just really... Yeah. Oh, man. It, it's very cathartic, I think, to watch something that has the stress and the build-up and then the catharsis and the learning to move on and forgive. I mean, if if anything, I would say I I wouldn't even... I, I You know, I was given the warning by a few people that this is going to be really sad and, um, mm. you know, don't don't worry about that too much and if anything that stopped me from seeing it um <laughs> for way longer than i should have done mm. just go in and see it it's a it's a really beautiful film yeah if it it just feels there's just something so human about it mm. and so naturally about yeah. life like yeah just playing the same the same beats you will as, feel as like your heart you know yeah you will feel like you've experienced something of life yeah. as a result of watching this and that is rare enough that you yeah. have a film that really does make you feel like you've really seen into somebody's actual life and yeah. the last thing i'd like to mention uh before my sort of best scene is trent Reznor and atticus ross did the just soundtrack. gonna say that yeah yep and it might not be as attention grabbing as uh, the social network but it's more insidious it's working in the background there it's tapping into your emotion yeah. and your thoughts and your feelings and yeah it's just it's only coming out of it and then listening to that soundtrack back again that you realize oh fuck yeah that was going in the whole time <laughs> oh, for me, it was the oral equivalent of nerve snapping. <laughs> Some of those tenser moments. That mm. soundtrack really just came came to the fore and put me yeah. on edge. It was it was masterful. Just incredible. Everything, every part of that production is working towards the same sort of intense. Uh, what would you call it? Monumental goal. Yeah. Favorite scene. It's the trip to the uh, the river. I think with uh, Lucas Hedges yeah. and the girlfriend. They go and they play on the the rope oh, swing cool. and such and. Yeah, just that in general, them being free was really lovely. Close second. Yeah. Um, the the whole again spoilers shit, but Lucas Hedges and his dad, uh, really hit home. Well, yeah, I I was um I thought when you said river moment that we were going to go for the same thing, but mine was ah. the the fishing trip that for the father and daughter. Fuck, I forgot about that. That might um, be the best. Yeah, that probably is it. That well, it's 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 that, and then the yeah the father son Lucas Hedges moment that follows the two yeah. the two the two like cathartic moments in, yeah. in in this movie they just where kids and parents actually finally communicate and let go of their baggage yeah. and yeah resentment vulnerability from a parent is a big thing to, to yeah. witness and we and, see it um, twice viscerally here yeah <laughs> lord knows i've held on to way too much hate in my life all we have is now all we have is now my number seven is your number five go on then <laughs> well i can't because my number seven 
Is your number five? A what? Jesus, this no. This is a joke. What about your this six? This is a joke. And do you know what? I blame Katie. So my number six is Marriage Story. My number six is Marriage Story. Oh, for fuck's sake. I can't believe this. It's like we have met up at least once a week for for three years to discuss movies and then have known each other for seven years before that. It's like that. All right, let's fuck it out again. All right. (gasps) Okay, you win. (laughs) Jesus. I can't keep doing this. Let that be a lesson to you. Fuck failure. I am fuck failure. So while Paul's busy being the fuck failure for 20 minutes, I'm going to talk about Mariage's story. Why um, 20 minutes? So... <laughs> we'll we'll cut, six, cut 16 of those. What I love about Nicole, she is a mother who plays, really plays. What I love about Charlie, he loves being a dad. He loves all the things you're supposed to hate, like waking up at night. She knows when to push me and when to leave me alone. He never lets other people keep him from what he wants to do. Dad, you're too far. I know. It's not easy for her to close a cabinet. He's incredibly neat. She's brave. He's brilliant. He's very competitive. So Noah Baumbach's an interesting one, hey? Um, oh, fuck yeah. Ups and downs in, in his career. Yeah! <laughs> um, Squid and the Whale was the first movie of, of his that I saw, which is mm. another divorce movie from the perspective of the kids. Um, mm. Divorce blows, I think, is the line. It, yeah. It, it explores similar ideas of parents becoming these selfish beings who want what's best for their kids at the same time as wanting to beat the other parent. Yeah. Um, this one felt like the other side of it. If that was the movie yes. you make when you're a kid and your parents yes. are divorced, this is the one... You when make you're when parent. you're the parent divorcing. Yeah, <laughs> you're the other because you you fucked up in the same way as your parents did. <laughs> yeah, whoops. Um, <laughs> don't human after all. Um, <laughs> Aren't your son? All right, Dad. <laughs> What's the 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 original? Like this is a remake. Uh, Squid in the Whale had Jeff Daniels and Laura Linney, and um, yeah, it definitely it was like a it was a witty, mm. very very much a written film. Yeah. Um, and Mayavet's story was successful, right? I haven't seen it still. Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. Myrit's story was really good. Um, that's that's very true. I think he's just um, been he's been hit and miss because he also made While We're Young, so he made another really great one know. in the last decade. I think he's just made yeah. a couple that really put us off. Um, specifically Mistress America. Yeah, Greenberg, I found unbearable as well. Just oh, I haven't seen that. It's just in indie quirk fest. Francis Ha was David great. Cross put it. <laughs> so he's a maddening director. Oh, yeah. He keeps making brilliant masterpieces like Francis Ha, and then just utterly unbearable yeah. things that nobody wants to watch. He's like the Woody Allen. I, f- I feel like I started to watch Francis Ha on your recommendation and couldn't stand it again. Oh, <laughs> but um, I'll have to go back to that. My memory is is the pits <laughs> i love so and okay anyway i've got 28 seconds left to talk about marriage story <laughs> one of the best films of the year <laughs> so adam driver and scarlett johansson together are just are incredible for a start they are yeah. as i said you, you can tell that they want what's best for their kids they, yeah. they they still kind of have these feelings for each other but it's all this is all born out of so much frustration and the mm. interjection of laura dern and um Alan Alder, Alan I think, Alder, is the yeah. other divorce lawyer. Yeah. Um, one of whom is is just sort of inept and doesn't seem and, and is like a catch twenty two style man who just is, is not helping Adam Driver at all. And Laura Dern, who is hungrily pursuing the downfall of Adam Driver, yes, uh, like with the <laughs> the sort of influence of these um of these players, the two Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson are just on this inexorable course to destruction. Yeah, uh, and, and the sort of complete dissolution of their marriage. 
and with with different effects like adam adam driver adam driver's character it really affects his attentiveness to his son yes and scarlett scarlett johansson yeah. it, it seems like she's just doing something to somebody that she would rather not and you can see it coming you know what's going to happen because you've been <laughs> not you but people mm. have been in this situation before and you know d- divorce is such a wide widespread universal and, and well-known thing uh, you can see, see the signs in this movie of complete destruction of the the relationship mm. and it just keeps on happening partly because of the the bit players here egging them on and, and partly because of pride and, and and being hurt because of the love they have for each other and it's just something so painfully human about it all um yeah and adding on to that is the, the comedy works so so well in this yeah. um the, the Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson once again are just perfect in this, and they really are. And and, and we, we've discussed this so many times, but the best way to make you feel something for the characters is to get that comedy good. You yeah, know, like, <laughs> you, you fall in love with these characters. You feel like you know them because you're seeing their their fuck ups and their foibles, mm. and, and 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 it means that when they you know really want to hurt each other, they can. Yeah, it, it just it's just flooring. It's quite yeah uh, humbling a thing to watch. It really is. There's just there's something so compellable, um, compellingly watchable and fuckable about Adam Driver, that mm-hmm. just his voice and his his um posture and the way he carries himself and his face is just something really yeah. magnetic that I just absolutely fucking love watching. Um, yeah. and just yeah, the 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 inventiveness of Baumbach. There's just like, oh, why not just have a character just get up and start singing right now? Why the fuck not yeah. at this stage? And just. Mm. You know, and and if he wants to make something feel very stagey and sort of screenplay, then we will. If you'd rather dwell on a character and yeah. you know have a long tracking shot that shows her sort of go to the other side of the room, eat, use a bathroom, wash her hands, and continue acting all of the while, then fine, yeah. we'll do that as well. And it's yeah, a very character-driven story. <laughs> I just remembered yeah. it's not going to be my favorite moment, but one of my one of my favorite lines in the film is um, Adam Driver has dragged his fucking kid to Alan Alda's office in order to. Um, <laughs> Never do that. Yeah, never do that. And um, the kid's playing with the cat and the receptionist, and they're just having fun playing with this cat. And Alan Older, just standing in the doorway, just says, you know, I wouldn't expect too much from that cat. Pause. And then he leaves. (laughs) (laughs) What the fuck does that mean? Was that improvised? Was that in the script? It's wonderful. I love that. But just a story about um, two people... You still care for each other, cannot be together anymore, and like the institution of divorce just fucking chews them up. The expectation of it, but and yet it is all fueled by underlying tensions between them. You know, Adam Driver's yeah. inability to listen to Scarlett Johansson and consider what she wants. His yeah. you know uncompromising like nature. Relationship and, yeah. yeah, and and her sort of macro manager, I suppose. Well, actually, no, I can't think of any problems that she has. It's mainly him. <laughs> 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 shit what does she do wrong i mean she wants to move to la i'm sure i'm yeah. a massive character flaw that she has <laughs> I, I feel like there was something but i feel like adam driver was more because <laughs> yeah. he was um we yeah, did spend he, more time with him i think he, he was, was the pov well. even though we spend a good chunk of the early film with scarlett johansson i think mm. adam driver is really our pov character here and yeah i mean that probably bespeaks Baumbach's own experiences yeah i, th- I think the only the the main thing that Scarlett Johansson does wrong is is during divorce proceedings. It's not really anything during. The- yeah, during divorce proceedings, she becomes incredibly uncommunicative, and that 
ends yeah. up fueling the whole ruthless. drama. Yeah. yeah. Well, ruthless kind of on Laura Dern. Laura Dern's kind of through Laura on Dern, her yeah. Behalf, yeah. Or Laura Dern through her. One of my That's favorite I mean. lines in that is Adam Drivers, um when answering why he hired a Ray Liotta, him just saying, "I needed my own asshole." Yeah, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh God, he's a very unwelcome, welcome presence in the movie. Yeah, well, as soon as he shows up, there is a bit of me that's relieved. Like, oh, thank God, <laughs> he's got his own asshole. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> because I fucking love Alan Older, but he's so shit. It's kind of <laughs> charming. <laughs> it's very charming. Yeah, but but his. I mean, I can't remember any of the lines, but there is the sort of. No, this isn't going to go to court. But when it goes to court, yeah, well, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of thing. And you know, Adam Driver is very rightly losing his mind, going, "What? Yeah. I, what do you mean?" He's like, don't, don't, "Don't get angry about it." Yeah, a bit where he's just telling a joke and he's going on for ages, and Adam Driver just starts <laughs> looking at a clock and it's like, "I'm sorry, Morty, am I paying for this joke?" <laughs> just very relatable yeah. frustration, but it's horrible as well because you can just see him digging his own grave. You see, you see, Adam Driver's a good guy in this, and yeah. he's just. A bit dumbass. He's fucked up. A lot of people. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's an idiot, a dumb idiot who did bad yeah. things and <laughs> could have saved his idiot. marriage. And yeah, just the most melancholy ending. Anyway, what's your favorite but, scene? Oh, my my favorite scene is the moment where they completely undo each other. Um, <laughs> it's where they're they're in in the middle of a, a heated argument and it just gets out of control and all of their frustrations are coming out and whether or not they they mean any of the shit they're saying, they are oh, saying man. the worst shit they can think of to yeah. each other in order to to just hurt them. Yeah, and it gets it just gets so mean and so yeah close to the bone. I love it. it it's heartbreaking. Heart, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Um, it's just really. Is. <laughs> it's, it certainly is because I think most of us have been in a, in in that kind of relationship yeah. where suddenly you just want to hurt the other person, and that's the only priority. Yeah, uh, it's horrible, and I, I love how on rewatch that scene starts so calmly. Because she comes and says, I thought yeah. we should talk. And he says, okay. Oh, God. Yeah. And then he, he starts think, oh, resolution. smiling. Yeah. And he starts smiling and he's like, I don't know how to start. And it's. Yeah. Oh, the fucking oh. humanity of it. Um, My favorite <laughs> scene. I do love the scene where neither of them are saying anything and their divorce lawyers are doing all of the attacks on each other. Yeah. Um, Because there's something so desperately heartbreaking about them just making forlorn eye contact with each other throughout this sequence. But yeah, no, the scene that really got me, the scene that immediately brought me in and was like this is one of the best films of the year it's that sublime opening that montage in yeah. which uh, they're both reading That's my second choice it, it transpires that what they're doing is reading out letters that they've written to each other or not reading out letters they've uh, written to each yeah. other um about why they fell in love in the first place just to try and yeah. build a bridge between them in that early stage yeah. and it's just such a wonderfully <sighs> observed minutely observed kind of yeah. um Oh, building character whilst also creating an atmosphere and just oh, and Randy Newman. The rest of the movie. Randy Newman's soundtrack is also really great. So yeah, that. and the reference back to this sequence at the very end is um, heartbreaking. heartbreaking. Oh God, I I cried in the first two minutes of this movie, yeah. Paul, because it was so <laughs> fucking sweet. Yeah, it was so fucking adorable. <laughs> just Adam Driver and his fucking kid. <laughs> I think yeah, I just... cried like four times. Really, I think I cried that many times as well. Which parts? <laughs> oh, why can't you be my dad? There's a lot of women to go around. You think you'd have been one of our dads <laughs> by now? <laughs> yeah, by now something would have changed. Anyway, what a film! It's not as simple as not being in love anymore. Eventually, it'll be the two of you having to figure this out together. What is your number five? 
My number five is your number... Oh, my number two. Your number two? Yeah. You clown. <laughs> He's going to take right. that seriously. Well, I guess we'll talk about my number five, which was your... Number seven. Which was your seven. Yes. It is Pain and Glory. <laughs> pain and Glory. <laughs> the Lenny Riefen style film. <laughs> Delor e Gloria. That was it. Nice. No ha sido un buen hijo, hijo mío. No. No. ¿Qué haces aquí? Tengo que hablar contigo. 32 años me ha costado reconciliarme con esta película. Si no escribes ni ruedas, ¿qué vas a hacer? Vivir, supongo. Okay. Yes, um, the pa- Pedro Almodovar film starring Antonio Banderas as Pedro Almodovar, it seems. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's an, a painfully beautifully observed story of a middle-aged director ex- who is in ex- experiencing a lot of pain and um in many different ways and is approaching a point where he's just reflecting on some of the mistakes he's made in his life some of the regrets mm. some of the just fucking unfair things that happened to him uh it's, and he's mediating on addiction his career his childhood uh his mm. relationship with his mother all of which just kind of, we just kind of float in and out, kind of inattentively, mm. um, punctuated by an ongoing narrative about his deteriorating health. And we just see these different aspects of his life um, so far. It's not overwhelmingly told in flashbacks. We get a quick little fast forward yeah. thing near the beginning, and then we get regular flashbacks to his childhood, um, yes. living in a small uh, cave mm. beneath a Spanish village, which is just one of those, I'll put that... In a list of movie properties, I would absolutely fucking love to live in. Because <laughs> goddamn, that cave is amazing. <laughs> what about when it rains that one time a year? <laughs> Don't be selfish. Think about the crops. Um, <laughs> it's it's a gorgeous film. Um, it's made with the special participation of uh, Penelope Cruz. Uh, it's how she's credited. I don't quite know what that means because she's a fucking saint in this. She's a yeah. huge part of why this movie is so effective. Um, she didn't take pay. She didn't take pay at all. She paid them. Wow. Um, just don't make me go out to Tom Cruise. That's not fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> pain and Glory is just a marvelously well-made, beautifully shot. Everything is great, and it has this yeah. great sort of pastel color aesthetic to it. And it's just a sublime mediation on uh, regret, ultimately. Yeah. I mean, it does sound, describing it like that and... and when I was reading the synopsis before watching this, it, mm. it sounds like it's going to be some indulgent autobiographical piece and it's going to be very self-serving or something that would only appeal to the director himself. Yeah. But mm. in fact, it had the opposite effect of just, it made this world that I wanted to indulge in like yeah. long after the film had finished. Yeah, um, and, and because this, this, so much of it is just, it's contained in tiny underplayed moments, I think. Yeah, um, it's reunions. So I've just read a really... Film. I've read a good synopsis uh, just there that described it as a series of reunions. And that is what yeah. ultimately what it's about, is he's coming back together with a number of people from his life, actors yeah. he used to work with, ex-lovers yeah. in one particularly devastating sequence, um, you know, and, and people who knew him as a child. And it's just about reuniting with them and yeah. processing the experiences that they once shared together. It's kind yeah. of a forlorn film, but also just one that is so full of, again, a sense of a life. Yes. You really get the sense of a geography. And, yes, definitely. And uh, uh, just the, the layout of this guy's life. And um, yeah. that's really sublime. 
everything's so clean and, and well yeah. set out and <laughs> and the sense of history you know when he meets up again with the um the the, the, the uh, guy who acted in his one of his early yes, films yeah. flavor his, yeah um, there's there's no there's no backstory we see we're given on screen really he's mentioned in a phone call and then he turns up at his house and they pick up yeah uh, you know they're ready to go mm. and he needs no introduction you can <clears throat> you can tell in the the looks they give each other in the familiarity yeah. they have when they walk around um this guy's house yeah and, and just just shooting the shit just having a yeah. chat that uh, that's that they've got this history you don't need to yeah. know it you don't need to indulge or <laughs> but bear with the director while he goes let me tell you about this text this thousand <laughs> word text that i wrote about this guy in my real life that i'm now going to try and yeah. painstakingly bring to screen and it's the same oh, when fuck. his his old flame turns up you know there's yeah there's barely a mention of him until he turns up watching um the performance of one of his texts and yeah. all you need is the looks they're giving each other the, the sort of the yeah. red watery eyes they've yeah. got for each other because there's so much history there that is brimming yeah. to the surface um mm. in these pained looks and you know that's 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 what i loved about this is is how much yeah. didn't need to be said because the performances and yeah. the staging were so powerful and yeah. and on top and of that it's just so fucking clever and funny the, really the auto is. fiction discussion with his mum for one thing <laughs> was wonderful oh yeah that was great what do you know about auto fiction mum? just to also think that it's a film that does feature sequences about addiction about drug use and also about art and creativity mm. and the impossibility of expression when you know Antonio Banderas is in this sort of pur- uh, purgatory he's found himself in and this constipation that he feels to think that it covers all of this ground mm. and has such a sort of epic feel to it epic in the sort of literative sense of just and the skateboard sense and the skateboard sense it's just really really immense and mm. i also just have to highlight before we move on antonio banderas who if i was handing out awards for best male performance i think it's got to be a tight race between him and um uh, adam driver for my favorite male lead of the year because god almighty is he capable of so much in this he was mesmerizing you know, what he does with his eyes it's oh, just so god. engaging the, the sadness and the yearning and the the, the just deep the yearning oh feeling I- of those yeah. incredibly sensitive eyes really just yeah absolutely mesmerizing i i loved him in this he embodied mm. such a stillness he was this yeah. like sc- scruffy sort of guy like artist guy yeah. who shuffled around he had a bit of a limp mm. because of his crippling back pain oh. and um he, like you could, you could just see he he, he was mm. keeping himself still because of the various amounts of pain that he's in yeah. And everything was delivered in these sort of self-effacing looks apart yeah. from the occasional moment when he came out to defend his art and would just cut ties all over again with <laughs> somebody he loves. Yeah. Um, when I try but... and recall the performance now, all I see is like a, a, a insincere smile, you know, just a, yeah. a little sort of self-deprecating and then, yeah, and that's... smirk. And that's, it's, uh, it's just it, it, gorgeous. It, I've just got a whole new respect for Antonio Banderas after yeah. seeing this movie because it it, it is just giving him this complete other um yeah like aspect to him that i didn't know about yeah uh, not the, just the, puss in boots not yeah. just puss in boots or zorro <laughs> yeah. the, the the last thing i'll say about this is as this artist with many diseases he talks a lot mm. about how it's completely taken the joy out of creating from him yeah. and uh that does resonate some mm. uh there was a couple of a couple of years in my mm. life where i was just beset by like, three chronic <laughs> illnesses right and um and 
it was a, a period where I was just mostly watching Breaking Bad on Valium yeah. and not <laughs> just not having the the drive to do anything that meant anything to me. And yeah. uh, so just on top of everything else, that was that was a real that hit home pretty hard. Yeah, favorite sequence is really hard, but I think it's got to be something of the childhood. Maybe it's the mother making chocolate sandwiches by just snapping a chocolate bar <laughs> in half and slamming it between two bits of bread. Oh, gave me such dry mouth thinking about it. Oh god, and then darning his um his sock using her little egg. Yeah. Maybe it's that sequence. I feel like I'm overlooking something so extraordinary again, like the the daughter father talk in waves, but um There's so much of it is is the thing in this so movie. much of it, but I think just Everything maybe feels the, so important. Maybe when he realizes the kind of trauma that he experienced, um, which was a kind of sexual awakening moment for him mm. uh, when he was a youth. Maybe that sequence, that was very dramatic. I loved everything we're teaching that guy to read. Yeah. It's so That nice. was sublime. Yeah. Um, or finding the painting. There's a whole mystery aspect yeah. as well with the painting. It's so much going on in this. Yeah. It's prob- it probably is the sequence where he meets up with his old lover. and uh, that, that was going to be mine. Yeah, I've, it's it's probably that moment. It's it's really, really profound. I say everything. They, they don't need words anymore. Okay, what is your number four? My number four is a film. It's it's a film by Starring. worst director in the world. Don't try anything new, please. Stick to Stick to your guns. Well, Christopher oh, Nolan made a film this year. He's even worse than Christopher Nolan, Paul. It's what? Death of Death of the Childhood, Ryan Johnson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Childhood Raper. Yeah. Took, took my Johnson. childhood and did nothing to it, actually, because this is a whole new film and series. Shoved it right up my ass. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure he was laughing hardest and longest this year because uh, Ryan Johnson made Knives <laughs> Out, which is one of the best films of this this fucking decade as far as i'm concerned are you baiting me detective attempting to be thorough so we can figure out the manner of death you mean if someone killed him <laughs> you think one of us one of his family well killed him mr blanc i just buried my father who committed suicide why are you here i suspect foul play i have eliminated no suspects it is a, a whodunit like no one else has done it. Um, and it's... <laughs> Love that tagline. It uh, revolves around uh, Anna Diamas' character, uh, Mata, who... Yep. Yeah. As she fucks Keanu Reeves again. As she, all over again by by <laughs> not getting me in this movie. Um, God, imagine if Keanu Reeves was in Knives Out. It would have <laughs> been too much. It would have been too much. You have Daniel Craig doing his thing and Inspector, Keanu, what are you saying? <laughs> he could have played the um because I do feel like Stanfield oh what's his name Lakeith Stanfield's mm-hmm. Lieutenant Elliot uh, the, the, yeah uh, I do feel like he was a little underused but if he'd been Keanu Reeves oh. it's impossible to underuse Keanu Reeves yeah we'll put a shot of him enough. in yeah <laughs> everybody comes and then we can all a go back to a teaspoon of Reeves <laughs> <laughs> just just one mouthful please <laughs> so yeah um Anna Diamas is a she's a carer for Christopher yeah. Plummer. Um, who's the head of the Thromby family, I think. Or yeah. Dry, oh, God, I just smiled there. thinking about yeah. them all. And, yeah, even saying the name, just so evocative. Yeah. It's such an onomatopoeic word, almost. Thromby. Yeah, Anna Diamas' character, Christopher Plummer, I'll try third time lucky, Yeah. Um, <laughs> who seemingly the cause of his 
cause of his death and this flash alabamian detective <laughs> played by daniel craig so flash uh, or Ken- kentuckian um he, he's, he's dapper i think is, is the, yeah. the better word for that he turns up apropos of no one um yeah, to investigate no is investigate this crime uh, much to yeah. the chagrin of the the police um mostly uh if if in part because that means Lakeith Stanfield doesn't get much of a role, but also because everyone thinks this is an open shut case. Christopher Plummer portrays it as a suicide, doesn't he? Yeah. But Anna Diamas and Daniel Craig have to navigate the sort of the terrible family. Yeah. And in, you know, it's it's in a true style of an Agatha Christie of of everybody giving their their version of events of, yeah. of implicating somebody else. Uh, mm. And you do you do very much get to the point where you think maybe it's everybody again. Um, <laughs> yeah. And 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 it is not only the who done it aspect there, but there's a subterfuge. Uh, again, going to try and not spoil too much of it. And yes. there's a subterfuge there as well, as well, invo- involving mm. Anna and Daniel Craig. And uh, and you don't know. There's there's so much of it that you you just don't know what of it is subterfuge, what of it is is mm. known. And it's it's so exciting for that because yeah, it's very rare that I get who done it. I got the Orient Express fight, like the one <laughs> thing that I fucking guessed. Um, but I, <laughs> I occasionally do the thing that Justin McElroy did once of write down what I think the twist is going to be and then, and then just put it and fold it and put it down. And it's never right. So I just get rid of it and don't <laughs> tell anyone about it until now. Um, but this one, you just have, you have no idea. And, and as the reveals come, which they're going to with a whodunit, they're just so pleasing. And so yeah. they're so smart and so effortlessly so. Why? And, you know, this is, this is why... This 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 is why Ryan Johnson should be given more to play with. I think <laughs> more um, Star Wars to play with. Yeah, please give him the fucking just give him the trilogy. I'll go and see it. It's gonna be fine. I and mean, remake just, Rise of Skywalker into a trilogy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's 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 that signature daring narrative of Johnson because he gives you ninety percent of what happened. He gives mm. you almost the whole story uh, at the end of Act One, and then. It's just about how much of that is to be trusted and following through the perspective of the people it happened to. And it becomes a sort of different thing, a whole different story for a long yeah. time before it becomes, you know, a whodunit again near the end. And it's just so interesting. And it just keeps you guessing, wondering what is going to happen next. And yeah. that is the joy of so far every Johnson film I've seen is just that you have this constant sense of well, what exactly is going to happen next. Mm. that's rare it's rare enough that you don't have even the films that you really like it's rare enough that you don't have a sort of template of where this is going sort of sketched out in the first few minutes Mm. and you just sort of have fun watching it then play out in that way hopefully with a bit of stylistic bravado but here the stylistic bravado is coupled with a complete unpredictability yeah and yeah like you say the cast is extraordinary Daniel Craig, Chris Evans, Anna Damas, yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson, yeah. Tony Collette, Keith Stanfield, <laughs> Christopher Plummer, Catherine Langford, yeah. and, and so on. Frank Oz is apparently in this. I don't actually recognise him. He was the uh, the guy who came and read the will. Yeah. <laughs> that was really yeah. fun. I just don't know his face. I, I never know Frank <laughs> Oz's face, Paul. <laughs> never. I'm going to need could. your help with this for this year. <laughs> it runs in the family. Dad didn't know what the fuck was going on. Emma Walsh shows up for a scene, which is... <laughs> Jeez. He shows up to cast some gay aspersions about the place and then disappear back <laughs> to the engine room. <laughs> That's Man. an allusion to his role in Wild Wild West. <laughs> Fantastic. Great. That all really done, everyone. That. Um, yeah, I love Michael Shannon. Michael Shannon oh. is so understated in this. He's just menacingly yeah. in the background of so many scenes. And in, the famous, in the famous eat shit um, scene, 
just yeah. as everybody's leaving, you can just hear him shouting, I'm not eating what I order of shit. <laughs> yeah, he's so rubbish at life in this. Um, yeah. <laughs> you can tell he's got a big opinion of himself, but he's so incompetent and incapable. Yeah. And he knows it. He's, a, oh, <laughs> he's really wonderful. But I mean, it's Anna Diarmas and uh, Daniel Craig's film, and they are superb yeah. together. And it's yeah. only dispiriting, really, hearing that there's going to be a Knives Out 2, which he has. Mm. Um, he's actually put a call out on Twitter to see if anyone could come up with a good name for it, mm-hmm. um, which is adorable. But um, assuming that's going to happen and that Daniel Craig is going to be playing Benoit Blanc again, it's mm. great. It's just a shame that Anna Diarmas isn't going to be there because God damn, did I love her character mm. and her performance. So is the idea it's going to be a new story, a new cast? Yeah, other than... yeah this is okay. now his Poirot. So... Okay. Yeah, he's going to move on to pastures and you. Oh, um, that's fine. Let's yeah. see Let's see where that goes. No peek until then. <laughs> and I did love Tony Collette as well. Tony Collette. Oh, God, yeah. She gives very big performances, and she was a lot of fun in this one. The family together is... The, the dynamic oh. is so disgusting and ruthless. Yeah. <laughs> Favorite scene? It's this, the scene where Anna Damas mm. reali- realizes or is told that she's a good nurse and a good person. Yeah, that, it's, it's the, the summing up. It's of their chemistry, I think. It's the best bit of any whodunit. It's the bit where the detective actually explains what happened. And um, yeah. there's so much joy to be found in that sequence. And yeah, part of it is because you're a good nurse. And, and, and she's, got, she's got agency in, that, in yeah. that scene as well with the reveal. She takes a lot of it into her own hands. And it's yeah. just great to yeah. see her do that. Because <laughs> she has this really great little tick. <laughs> the, the this this little nervous thing that she, that means she can't do a certain thing. Yes, it's just it's very it's very well used. My other favorite moment, having rewatched this with a couple of different people, um, at the point where the bit where I know everybody's gonna know this is genius is where Christopher Plummer provides a set of instructions of stuff that needs yeah. to be done, and that's why I just know everyone's gonna be like, oh, this is good. <laughs> yeah. Because before that, it's it's kind it's a little dry. It starts off with just um, a lot of information you have to take in. It's the worst part of any yeah. who done it is okay. I've got to learn who everyone is, um, but it does this actually really well by you know largely giving it to the characters and making it very funny. Exposition yeah. for humor is always a good thing, and this does it very well. Yeah, perfect. Also, uh, Chris Evans' sweater game is very strong in this. Big fan of his sweater game. <laughs> Hashtag thread count. <laughs> I think you have something you want to tell me. <laughs> Okay, your number... Oh, no, my number four now? Yeah. I don't know how any of this works. Okay. Nah, man, it's hard. Okay. Into... <laughs> You're going to struggle. Into my top four. Fuck me, these are just classics of the uh, yeah. of their respective genre. I'm so happy. Not like Knives Out. Not like Knives Out. <laughs> Jesus, that was rubbish. But um, just total... I mean, jump the shark. Um, <laughs> My number four is a delightful little picture that I tried to show to as many people as I possibly could this year. It's The Lighthouse. Tell me, what's a timberman want with being a wiki? Just looking to earn a living. It's like any man. Starting new. On the run. Keeping secrets, are you? No, sir. Why just spill your beans? Why just spill your beans? Why just spill your beans? 
I knew this was going to be fucking special from the first trailer. It's uh, Robert Eggers, who... Um, Robert or David? Robert. David, the novelist. Yeah, it's Robert Eggers, who back in 2016 made another top 10 entry for me, The Witch, or The Vivitch. Mm-hmm. The Lighthouse is a claustrophobic, character-driven, utterly mythic, incredibly deep, homoerotic, um, <laughs> sort of horror, claustrophobic thriller. Mm. And... I adore it. I adore everything about it. I adore its style. I adore that somebody fought to do this. I love the aesthetic. I love the way everything looks. The black and white uh, photography, the old Academy ratio mm-hmm. um, frames that they create. I love the design of the island. I love the monsters, the the, the horrible seagull, oh, God. the recurring mermaid. There's just so much about this that I just fucking adore dipping into. It's... um. Oh, it's just exactly the kind of thing I love. It's a New England horror story, very much like um, The Witch was, mm. and draws upon things like Herman Melville and um, Edgar Allan Poe, and just has this great sense of a, a young country that's terrified out of its fucking mind, <laughs> and of just everything that's around it. And yeah. in this particular instance, it's this it's it's my fear of nature, but this other side of nature, which is the sea, because there's shit down there. And maybe oh it God, cre- you don't even want to know. <laughs> Lovecraft, of course, is the other um, big influence that's coming out here because there are tentacled things down there that are going to creep into your mm. livers. And it's also a story of alcoholism. Yep. It's about running away from your past. It's just, it has the feel of a of a wonderful sort of short ghost story. And yes. It's just creepy as fuck. The overwhelming atmosphere of this thing, the brine drenched smell mm. of the frame. Every second it was on, Stank the first time I saw it, I hoped it would end in a good way. <laughs> I wanted to Best leave because of Huge. how claustrophobic it was. The soundtrack is so claustrophobic. That blaring horn. Mm. It just, Michael Bublé oh. really outdid himself, didn't he? <laughs> he really outdid himself and overdid it, and God bless him for doing so. Stole someone's it's... identity. <laughs> music by Mark Corvin again. He did the music for uh, the, the, the Vivitch. Vivitch. Um, great soundtrack. Sea shanties and... Yeah. Oh, but all of it, all of it, none of it would be what it is without Willem Dafoe, the madman with his big beard and his <laughs> giant <Mad dog>. eyes, <laughs> his mouth that is capable of getting as big as his face, <laughs> and Robert Patterson, the wretch. Yeah. He plays a fucking wretch in this. He's emaciated. He's got giant, terrified bug eyes. Staring he- eyes. <laughs> An accent that's just constantly sort of in a state of distress he's oh man <coughs> he's he's sublime yeah. um it's like just watching a smaller animal getting eaten by a larger one it's just <laughs> but the small animal's really giving it a go because <laughs> the there's, small there's animal a, hates it yeah it's like a small animal with spikes or something it's like he'll get swallowed but oh just you wait <laughs> not gonna be good don't want to be willing to throw his intestines. Sometimes Defoe going from just this harsh, utterly, oh God, irredeemably senseless man hmm. to a really kind of vulnerable kind of figure. Like, Ugh. oh God, it's almost more distressing to watch the sort of softness of the two. Mm. It's just, oh man. But it feels like mind games at that yeah. stage. It feels so so deceptive. <laughs> it's horrible not you knowing like when You like the lobster, don't you? <laughs> oh God, why'd you spill your beans? <laughs> Oh man, it's a it's it's a horror film in just the best sense. You, it's confusing, it's disorientating, mm. and it's uh, and it's just incredibly distressing. And a I love of, it for all of that. A bit of Greek myth in there as well. 
for the yep, nerds. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's drawing on the whole Melville thing, which of course made great use of old sea stories of the old. Yeah. And yeah, there's a whole Neptune slash Proteus thing going on, and a little yeah. bit of Prometheus and yes. but Prometheus. <laughs> My favorite sequence either is what happens when um, Winslow finally manages to uh, find the light. Oh, but there's the scene where he finds the mermaid as mm-hmm. well. Oh, that's Whoa. so weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so frightening. Um, but no, my favorite scene, it has to be about the two of them. And it's their their long night of drinking after they fail to get rescued, I think, where they just, they drink, they dance, and really... fight. Yeah. <laughs> they fight when it becomes easier than dancing. Yeah. And I think it then culminates in this wonderful conversation with them. The, uh, the what conversation. What? Um... What? 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 Yeah. Because even the dancing is so angry and you can tell they fucking yeah. hate each other when they're singing old sea shanties of, of, of Oh, old. man. <laughs> I'm just checking behind me to make sure there's no giant tentacles <laughs> writhing around back there. Just... Oh, and I hope we'll still be friends tomorrow! <laughs> this, this is a film... It's the kind of film that's just stood behind you right now. It's just... <laughs> it's just everything yeah. that you don't want and I love it. Oh, boy. Daddy! <laughs> Let Neptune strike ye dead, Winslow! All right, have it your way. My number three is the the smash hit comedy sensation of of the year. It's uh, Jojo Rabbit. Today you boys will be involved in such activities as four games, Ah! ambush techniques, and blowing stuff up. I don't think I can do this. Was? Of course you can. comes to. When I was your age, I had an imaginary friend. Got me in so much trouble. Yay. Um, Jojo Rabbit, the film about the Nazis. So, oh, um, that seems inappropriate. Shouldn't have done that. No, shouldn't have done that. You're never allowed to do films, comedies, let alone uh, about sensitive subjects. My granddad didn't die in the Holocaust. But if he <laughs> did, it would have been very inappropriate for me to have seen this. <laughs> Yeah, probably. What do I know? Um, it's, it's an argument that could be easily debunked in when we finally do the episode about shut up, Puritans. But um, <laughs> shut up, everyone. Yeah, but um, shortest yeah. episode yet. I, I, I take you back to Sultanitsin and Orwell. There's no better way to dispel bogeymen and hate than than laughter and ridicule. Yeah, and sure. what better way of doing it than have Taika Waititi play Adolf Hitler, um, imaginary friend of Jojo, who uh, is a keen member of the hitler youth who just wants to be the best nazi possible and he has his imaginary friend hitler to egg him on and encourage him along the way um yeah in in, in a number of ridiculous scenes including sam rockwell um mm. uh, rebel wilson alfie allen stephen merchant all just outrageous nazis um yeah all taking part in the outrageous nazis they are outrageous nazis in this guys and you've what got to will see they to do next it. Oh, what will they do next? There's a lot of dancing and prancing and lying and um, yeah, and fantasizing going on there, and um, at the same time you have um, Jojo and his his mother who hmm. is clearly a little concerned, played by Scarlett Johansson. Um, yeah, best actor of the year for the the, the two films that she's been Bloody in our hell, top yeah. tens for. Um, playing the mother who's concerned that he's getting a bit too zealous about all of this and seems to be mm. having having some sort of uh, by night agenda, um, yeah. which is not to say she's a lady of it, but um, 
something. And yeah, and and then eventually, as as revealed in the trailers, Jojo finds that uh, a Jewish girl has been hiding mm. in um, a secret space in their house. Yeah, and he starts to obviously realize that she's basically human and won by previous ogt favorite actress of the year winner thomason mckenzie Thomas from McKenzie. the Trace. yeah yeah and and in in much the same way but also the complete opposite way that the lighthouse depends on the horrible performances of willem dafoe and robert pattinson so much of the heart in this movie is is based on the dynamic between uh jojo uh roman Roman Griffin Davis yep. and Thomas and McKenzie, yeah. but also Roman Griffin Davis and Scarlett Johansson. Mm. Um, the 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 mother son relationship and the the two sort of en- enemies and then f- friends relationship yeah. of Roman and Thomasin. One minute. The the heart the heart of this movie mm. and <clears throat> through the eyes of this young boy, we we not only get you know these real heartfelt moments, but we see how propaganda works. Yeah, and and, and the the craziness again. It's like. It's it's like the surrealism of greener grass being one step away from reality. It it seems ridiculous that that the claims that you know Jew, Jews would eat children alive and mm. and so on and so forth. It it seems ridiculous to us now watching this and like a creation of a you know from a Taika Waititi film. Mm. But it's 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 how the propaganda works and it's how propaganda still works just with different allegations. You know. Yeah. So yeah. W- once again, going going the sort of surreal, the wacky root so much of this is rooted in in reality it's yeah at the same time really important movie yeah um in in terms of message but it's just it's so sweet and it's beautifully shot and the the ensemble cast are fantastic yeah agreed yeah it's so sublime and it's just really it's it's very sweet natured and just every it's what again another film made by its ensemble cast and how perfectly they all play off of each other um yeah, a performance of Rebel Wilson that I like this year, which yes. is rare as hen's teeth. It really is. <laughs> um, Taika Waititi as Hitler, as um, as Hitler, yeah, it's just really funny. Hits the right um, tone of being really childish. Yeah, <laughs> just in order to really take the sin off of it, I feel. Hmm. Uh, Thomas and Mackenzie effortlessly charming, and and just really plays this great line between tr- wanting to make fun of the hatred that's directed at her, but being really deeply, obviously affected by it hmm. is keeps reminding you of the stakes of all this yeah sam rockwell oh, as God. the fucking yeah um army commander with a heart yeah uh so good just uh, the the extent to which he's given up and just doesn't believe in any of this at the yeah. start of the film is just hilarious and his disaffectedness yeah it's just really a joy to behold it is all down to um oh Stephen merchant sorry is really funny as the gestapo yeah. agent as well yeah. I fucking adore Archie Yates as Yorkie, the um yes. JoJo's best friend. Oh, he's God. so good, and it's just the heart of that. Oh man, he's not the heart of the movie because there's so much heart in it, but yeah. he's just another little facet of why this is such an adorably lovable film, in spite of all the Nazi stuff. Yeah, well, um, yeah, it's a film that doesn't forget that by making it all about the comedy, it really makes what is at stake feel believable and real. The, yeah. the idea that hatred and senselessness and fascism is going to invade and tear apart these characters who are so sweet and so yeah. lovable just makes it all the more heart-wrenching intent is so important right and yeah um you, you can at no point is this movie do, doing anything other than remind, remind you of the 
the, the dangers yeah. of, of this kind of thought. Yeah, and how trapped everyone is. There's yeah. this constant sense that all of these characters could sing and dance and be free and beautiful together if only they were free and they're yeah. not because this system traps everyone, including yeah. the people charged with propagating it. Yeah. Well, the, the scene that stands out, uh, mm. it's the shoes. Yeah, yeah. I, I yeah. Won't say I'll take. More than that. No, that's fair enough. It's a gut punch, but yeah. a very well deserved one. Um, <laughs> you deserve that one, <laughs> A very well earned one, I should say. <laughs> it's well earned by the film to do that. It doesn't feel cheap. It's yeah, entirely consistent with the price that must be paid. Yeah. Um, I will go for the mother and daughter scene before that, where they go on an outing together to. I mean, they just go to like a weird river. Um, yeah. And then cycle home again. And there's some beautiful little moments between them, between um oh her doing his shoelaces. Yeah. Um and then <laughs> yeah. and, and then accidentally actually not accidentally, actually tying them together so yeah. that he can't come after her is so funny. And yeah, it's great. a really offhand comment that really made me laugh the second time I saw it is that she calls him sh- um Shitler. He says, Alright, Shitler. Which <laughs> <laughs> is great. Alright. It's great. such a <laughs> Oh, good. That really made me laugh. And that, yeah, that and when you realize that Sam Rockwell, his character has actually covered for Jojo. Yeah. It's just such a much needed yeah. bit of heart. It's a lifeline. You know, when, yeah, it's a lifeline. Oh, of course. In that moment. The, the scene with um, the, the mother and son in, in the dining room when she's, she's yes. pretending to be Pretends his dad. To be the dad. And, oh, yeah. God. It just, that, that, that showcases how talented an actor Scarlett Johansson is. And maybe yeah. she should. It's a good thing that she's not doing so many Marvel movies now because yeah. well, she'll have a chance to keep doing incredible stuff like this in Marriage Story. Oh, God. I just wanted to do more weird shit. I wanted to do yeah. more her under the skin. Yeah. Just fucking weird stuff. Yeah. I'm really looking forward to what she's going to do now. Yeah. Um, and also the final uh, couple of shots because I really fucking loved the um, Jojo and Elsa relationship. And so yeah. the very last shot of the movie is sublime. Yeah. Nothing makes sense anymore. Yeah, I know. It's definitely not a good time to be a Nazi. My number three is Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Combien de temps restez-vous? Je ne sais pas. This is Celine Sharma's uh, historical drama, I guess you'd um, refer to it as, romance. It's uh, the story of a woman who heads out to a remote island in France uh, in order to be painted, in order to be commissioned to paint a rich young noblewoman without her knowledge or Mm. consent. Um, for the purposes of securing a marriage that she does not want, um, a marriage that may have already killed her sister. So it is a story of Marianne the painter and Eloise the subject. And it's a sto- it's a film I went to go and see um, and just was completely destroyed by mm. and walked out of there with a sort of breathlessness, mm. uh, not least because I had held my breath for the entire climax of the film, which <laughs> is incredibly uh, impactful. Yes. It's a film about attempted communication between two people. It's about art. It's about the invasive quality of art. Early on, um, a character dramatically unveils a mirror to no effect, but then fearfully approaches a covered canvas uh, because it has greater potential yes. for penetration 
and um, insight into its subject, and that really does is kind of at the heart of Heloise's uh, fear of being painted, yes. along with just the potential loss of identity that comes from being put onto canvas. It's a film about the process of painting. It's a film about misogyny without any male characters in it. It's about how the male system that they exist in has stifled her creativity. Yes. Uh, that is Marianne's and holds Heloise um, prisoner, um, even though there, there are no guards to watch her. There is a point in the movie in which the mother of the household, the Countess, leaves. Um, she goes off uh, to do one or two other things, mm. at which point the three women at the film's heart, um, because there's also Sophie, the sort of uh, chambermaid who's around, mm. yeah, um, they just find freedom. They find such a sublime and excellent freedom together in which they can explore sexuality, drug use, um, collective identity, music, literature, just everything happens as soon as mum goes away. Yeah it's intoxicating because for so much of the early part of the movie they are restrained and withheld from each other yes. and to see them just these characters suddenly emerge and flourish so fully and naturally and completely is just absolutely exhilarating having said that marianne is not what you expect you know she arrives at the island and it's you'd expect it to be a sort of you know fish out of water what's going on in this place but within seconds she's naked in front of a fire warming herself and a few moments after that, has raided their um, parlor for cheese and bread and wine. She's just she she is the the interrupter, you know. She's going to come into this system and she's going to stir things up. Yeah. Um, and yet also go away completely changed. Um, and that was just extraordinarily affecting. It's it um, really it's one of those films that just communicates with you yeah. through your stomach. I just remember this movie in a series of uh, intensities. Some some, mm. some some very intense moments with some really strong performances and s strong mm. faces as well. It sounds yes. silly to say, but um, particularly uh, the, the name of the, the one being painted? Uh, Heloise. Heloise, El Heloise or is it Eloise? Oh, not sure. Silly French. Something French. Helen. Stupid names. Ellen. Um, <laughs> Ellen. The H. Uh, yeah. Her her face in particular, in particular mm. is an incredibly strong yeah. and memorable face, and yeah, the, Big the eyes. time the movie decides to just linger on that or focus intently mm. on that is uh, yeah breathtaking. And she spends so much time covered up, sort of you know fearful of exposure, with yeah. her face sort of covered by various things. It's just favorite scene, very hard. The reveal of a certain. Uh, painting and a page number um, had me literally just smile with joy. Mm. Um, the f climax of the film, I didn't take a breath in once during the whole sort of playing. It's to do with Vivaldi and it's just... I, I can't listen to that piece again now in the same way. It's furious you know, wanking. About furiously wanking. Yeah. Um, I'm going to say my favourite sequence is when they all go down to... Um, oh, abortions is another thing they get to explore once the <laughs> mum goes away. Everyone gets to do whatever they want. Hooray! Um, hooray! Abortions for everyone. <laughs> they go down to um, a fireplace gathering of local women, and there's something kind of witchy in a good way about the whole thing, and it's yeah. aesthetic. It's kind of Goya-esque, oh, yeah. um, you know, gathering of the, of the witches. And they all, they all gather together, and um, then... They start singing slowly, yeah. individually, then all of them. And yeah, it just blows you away because the power of these women together is just really striking. And it just it further uh, adds more misery to um, inevitability of what will eventually happen to yeah. this little group of women. Um, also, it's kind of a ghost story. 
she keeps seeing weird ghostly visions which uh forebode yeah. the ending and it's uh yeah, yeah. yeah i like that <laughs> good stuff i like it too my number two is too hot for listeners at home oh no they can't um, know about it no i've got to sh- i'm gonna shoot it up into the air like a clay pigeon but you're not allowed to look at it until <laughs> it's on the floor again and then you can come over and shoot it after is- i've licked it yeah exactly after paul sat on it and hatched it <laughs> then you can shoot it in the face yeah. I, don't give a shit. I don't give a shit about them once they hatch um, my number two is your number five bong joon ho's excellent film parasite yeah So, Parasite is a extremely socially aware thriller yes that i watched uh one glorious day when i watched a bunch of these wonderful films and a uh, back-to-back in preparation mm. for um the end of year list i made for screen mayhem mm. and this has very Check nearly topped the list only narrowly I- i've wrestled a lot with this and yeah. the number one position but it's yeah it- it's a masterful thriller in as much as it's just got you on the edge of your seat wondering what the fuck is actually going on and halfway through, it completely changes uh, what it's trying to do. For the first half, it's just this brilliant story of a plan and the mm. lengths that its proponents are willing to go to to yeah. execute that plan. And that is the joy of the film. It's like, holy shit, how far are these people willing to go to get yeah. ahead? Because it's principally about a very poor family, all of whom are just beautifully played. Song yeah. Kang Ho as the father of the um, yeah. Kim family. The Kims are the poor ones, aren't they? Yeah. The Kim family are the poor family, and the um, Park family are the rich family. Yeah. Song Kang-ho as the dad is brilliant. Um, the son, who is principally the main character, is Choi Woo-shik. Yeah. Um, my favorite character is Park So-dam as the sister, Kim Ki-jung, mm. who is just really wonderfully ruthless and incredibly talented in mm. her ability to just do whatever it takes to get ahead. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and uh, I'll, I won't name more, but I'll, I'll name the mother of the Park family, um, who <laughs> yeah. I absolutely adore, uh, Cho Yi Jung. Yeah. Or Jung. She's fucking great. She's meant to be this somewhat well meaning, but um, naive woman yeah. who um, is the kind of principal character of that family. And it's just about the sort of push and pull between her and these family of hucksters who are going to try and ingratiate <laughs> yeah. themselves at any cost the, their performance as schemers is 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 mind-blowing yeah. and it's too it's almost too fast for you to f- follow and and so you can really <laughs> feel the confusion of the naive mom yeah. who loves her children uh. more than anything and is just yeah the, her, her pride <laughs> and naivety is just just makes her utterly yeah. blind yeah uh, and it's to just the schemes of this family and the horror of it is it's just that they're so unable to um find any kind of harmony with each other because the class equality is just always going to be an issue and i've seen this with people who felt that the um they didn't buy into the ending i completely bought into the ending it seems so reasonable to me what ends up happening because it's just it's pervasive the constant little reminders that the kim family are beneath the park family um right down to a sense of smell (laughs) that becomes a plot point in the film that's my standout scene 
Yeah. It's so it's such a gut punch. Yeah. With the reminder that yeah there is no social mobility really. No, that they might be in the household, but they are servants and. Yeah, it's just, it's a wonderful story that has this great verticality to its aesthetic. The Park family mm. live at the top of the cinematic world. The Kim family live at the bottom. And in one of my favorite sequences, when they're running home after a sort of failed plan, they just keep heading downwards. And it's like a Miyazaki film. They keep heading down yeah. these stairways and down these little passages. And oh man, what a, uh, a superbly stylistic representation. And then they get home and there's this almighty flood which forms this incredible set piece. Um, this one yes. action beat. Um, well, not one action beat, actually. There's a couple of sort of fight bits. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What is my favourite moment? It's... I Oh. I would almost say that the first half is my favourite. The half where they're just gradually working their way in. Um, yeah. And you get the house to see... is a character in its own right. Yeah, the house becomes a character in its own right and it, the first half of the film spends a lot of time establishing the geography for you. Um, yeah. Yeah, and... I don't know if we mentioned this. Wickedly, darkly funny. Great sense of humor in this film, um, which is really yes. carried through in the performances. So, yeah. Fuck you, Donald Trump. As well. This one deserved the Oscar. And yeah, great trailer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the trailer, watching the trailer, I knew that this was going to be in my top 10 before even seeing it. <laughs> Some, sometimes it just manages to get it across. Well, you know. You can tell just how sublime mm. everything is. Great trailer. I saw this before the trailers came out and I still kind of thought it was a monster movie because of course Bong Joon-ho and you know yeah, um, the I host see. and I thought yeah I, I thought I remembered reading somewhere that this was like a surprisingly good monster movie so I, <laughs> I and when they start when the thing happens I was like oh is this it now? <laughs> yeah. Is this when they're gonna find the thing? But <laughs> I was way out but very pleasantly surprised. No stars. <laughs> Worst, worst monster, monster movie, movie ever. Time. Yeah, surprisingly bad film monster of the year movie. Is King of the Monsters. <laughs> what a film! What a film! So that's every accolade it got. Yeah, absolutely. Let's now do our honourable mentions. We're gonna yeah. we've composed films that go up a list up to number thirty. We are gonna rocket through this as quickly as we can. Yeah. Um, we're going to tell you what our numbers 30 for 11 are, um, starting with Goodman, a number 30. Cool. My number 30 is Sword of Trust, directed by Lynn Shelton of Glow fame, starring Mark Maron. A tight little piece about fake news, rumor, and conspiracy theories, and how curiosity around a sword that proves the South won the Civil War brings four people into contact with an alarming group <laughs> of fanatics. I haven't heard of that. That's really interesting. Ah. Um, my number 30 is John Wick 3, the film I've probably watched the most this year. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just more balletically, incredibly entertaining gunplay from Mr. Wick. Keanu Reeves, I'm so glad he has found this vehicle for his devotion and his um, commitment yeah, to action. 29, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, director Mario oh. Heller. Uh, an incredibly mm -hmm. sweet film with an important reminder for anyone caught up in the stresses of modern life. Uh, until Denny Villeneuve mm. adapts Walden, I'll go with Tom Hanks' touching portrayal of Mr. Rogers and his lessons on coping with anger and loss. There's no oh, in-between. It's, <laughs> it's such a sweet film. Yeah. My number 29 is Longshot, a really surprisingly affecting yeah. kind of screwball stoner comedy um, about an unlikely coupling um, that just has a lot of laughs and a lot of heart to it. Yeah, my number 28, John Wick 3. Uh, yeah, hey. don't want him to make a fourth really, but this is a great continuation in the series. It's just fun yeah. overkill to the extreme, innovating <laughs> to find new ways to make murder fun. Keanu Reeves yeah, is a my, real presence to behold. My big problem with it, with it was that it just had no sense of closure to it. But mm. now, the more times I've gone back to it and watched it, I just, just so much stuff I love in that. 
Um, 28, uh, one of Barack Obama's favorite films of last year, Atlantics. Oh. A really excellent film about uh, very poor workers in a country I can't remember the name of. Shit. Um, Ireland. Ireland. God almighty, it's so uh, depressing. But it's about uh, young people who dream of the getting out, getting to Europe, um, finding a new way. Hmm. And supernatural elements. Dakar. Senegal. Senegal is the country. Their dream of getting away. They're trapped in various layers of poverty. And yeah, dream of a better world. Try and get there. And weird stuff starts to go on, starts to go on involving ghosts and zombies. I like that. Mm. I also like number 27, Long Shot. Uh, hey. Seth Rogen and Charlize Theron. In a reckless investigative journalist reunited with his old babysitter. Soon to be the next prez of the United States. <laughs> but this is why Seth Rogen gets to do mostly what he wants. Because when it's right, it's gloriously funny. And sweet too. Yeah, when it's right... It just, ah, oh, he needs that. Yeah. He needs that vehicle. Directed also by the 50-50 guy. Jonathan oh, brilliant. Levin. The last time he was great. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, one, there was there's been, I'm sure that. that. I'm sure there is. Okay, um, Beanpole is mm. a story about sort of post-Second World War Russian um, nurses. And um, just about them trying to reconcile what happened to them during the war and come to terms with their new reality living in sort of post-war Stalingrad or Leningrad, I think mm. it is at the time. Uh, yeah, it went back to Leningrad. So yeah, it's just a very, a potentially bleak, but very human and um, quite affecting story about two women who have been very affected by their history. So- sounds like a Svetlana Alexievich sort of <laughs> book. 26, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Tarantino's a natural filmmaker. He brings characters yeah. and moments to life with what feels like innate ability. And Uwate is no different. <laughs> Uh, oh, brilliant portrayal of a declining personality from Leo and mm. as discussed in our earlier episode of Host it's a, coll- a collective cheer of relief and unison from yeah. cinema goers around the world indeed okay my number 26 is Midsommar I don't know what it is between mm. me and Ari Aster where we almost <laughs> get on really well um, I remember being so excited by Hereditary and the trailer for it and just being Oh, ever so slightly put off by something I've been yet capable of putting my fingers on but Jack Midsommar Rainer. is an even more maybe it's Jack Renner um, Raina. Um, Midsommar is an even more accomplished work from um, Aster, a fantastic mediation on grief in a mm. dazzling multicolor display of horror. <laughs> nice. They should have cast Jack Renner. That's where they went wrong with you. <laughs> 25. Dolomite is my name, directed by Yay. Craig Brewer. It's not only a return to form from Eddie Murphy, but the man better than ever in this underdog biopic yeah. about the rising of one of cult cinema's greatest stars. Dolomite. Oh God, he's uh, funny and charming. Yeah, with a never-before-seen side of Wesley Snipes. <laughs> Fuck yeah. What a performance. Jesus Christ, what a performance. 25, Avengers Endgame. Mm. Um, a sense of an ending in a franchise that will probably be endless. <laughs> yeah. Brings some much-needed closure and catharsis to stories that have kept us engaged for over a decade now. Yeah. It has... It's actually relatively short on action beats that I respond to, but... um. It's still got way more character moments and way more and way better pacing than a lot of recent Marvel entries and just, yeah, stole it for me. I would also like to highlight how much I enjoyed Captain Marvel, though, which didn't quite make the list. Noted. 24, <laughs> Spider-Man Far From Home, ah. directed by John Watts. Despite losing a lot of the homespun charm of its predecessor, this mm. conventional comic book movie narrative is made... Whoa! What have you done? Get out. Get out. <laughs> get out. 25, get out. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it's it's made it's actually made unmissable by its its wit and its performances from Tom Holland and Zendaya. They're just 
awesome together yeah. and it's so uh, cute i i keep going back to it pinch their faces <laughs> um my number 24 is 1917 hmm. yeah a really breathtaking cinematic experience um perhaps leans a little too heavily on its influences but is still really just a, a mesmerizing experience and a really compellingly entertaining one as well cool i hope it wears its influences like its skin <laughs> that it's cut from their bodies still warm <laughs> 23, The Lighthouse. Yeah. Here. Tight, taut, stressful, and sexual. In this layered piece about two <laughs> psyches in battle for knowledge and power comes potential career bests from William Defoe and Robert Pattinson, in my opinion, yeah. uh, as the question will finally be answered. Whose lighthouse is this anyway? <laughs> Whose is it? Yours? <laughs> it isn't. Number 23, Uncut <laughs> Gems. Shit film. Put it here for a joke. <laughs> really tense, really marvellous, yeah. um, excellent uh, piece of compelling horror <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's the only way to put it just Christ. yeah a really compelling character driven descent into madness and i hope i never have to see it again 22 <laughs> now. david copperfield it's a lovely and whimsical hey. adaptation of one of my favorite novels of all time uh, as can be expected from me nietzsche and dickens i suppose painfully yeah. relevant piece on uh, austerity that you can only hope yeah. is heeded amazing cast That's amazing it. performances um, number 22, Weathering With You, uh, Makoto yeah. Shinkai, who directed uh, formerly one of um, our favourite films ever. Yeah. <laughs> I feel it was on my list too. Was, yeah, yeah it was, I had it number 5, 2016. Yeah, my number one. Um, absolutely. He's made another uh, another beautiful film that is, uh, suffers maybe a little from comparison to his um, epic uh, mm. film, Your Name, but it's still a really sweet story about young people having to pay the consequences of the um, pain of old. And mm. probably one of the best movies about young people reacting to climate danger that I've mm. ever seen. And as much as it really focuses on the agony of expectation that falls upon the young people of today. That Cool. Yeah, they're the ones who've got to try and fix everything. Wow, wish I'd been able to and see it. Just, <laughs> and they just want to be kids. Yeah, I could understand that. <laughs> 21. can understand that. Speaking of kids, it's Takashi Miike's <laughs> first love. It's his biannual return to form uh, of a fighter with a heart problem who saves a girl from myriad mobs, the result being a brilliantly funny, sprawling, but fast-paced revenge-slash-grudge-slash-Super Bowl that just gets everything it tries right. Yeah, it's easily in the top ten of um, Takeshi Miike films that he made this year. Yeah. (laughs) Easily. No, it's really great. A really wonderful film. 21, Greener Grass. Um, Yeah, just really funny, as we've explained many times now. Really funny, really sweet, very... Right, not not at all sweet. I don't know why I said that. Really funny. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. Uh, Twenty villains directors Dan Burke and Robert Olsen. Yeah. It's a surreal joy of a film, uh, mm. one in which every actor is having the best fun being the weirdest yeah. version of their characters. And a tense <laughs> home invasion movie inverted on itself. It's, yeah. Um, great perform. Uh, yeah, great performances from everyone. I love the different yeah. shades of intensity from Bill Skarsgård, who's Pennywise. Michael yep. Monroe, Jeffrey Donovan, and Kyra Sedgwick from Gamer. Uh, mm. Very finely sculpted madness. Um, number 20, I Lost My Body. Fascinating French animation that recalls um, simultaneously a sort of um, Hollywood uh, Pixar animation style approach to um, action and also a sort of Gaspar Noé attempt approach at the <laughs> afterlife and memory. Jesus. So, yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff goes on there. It's about a hand that has been cut off from its owner. Mm. And I struggled with this in my review. What do you call something... Like the owner of the hand, I guess so. Or herself, anyway. Yeah. Cut off from its body, and now it has to crawl across this um, French city in an attempt to find its former owner. <laughs> ah, how cool, master! Yeah, 
<laughs> Number 19 for me is The Death of Dick Long, directed by Daniel Scheiner, who's uh, one of the Swiss Army Man directors. Yep. Um, the tragic comedy of men being completely <laughs> unable to talk about their feelings is touched yeah. on a few times in this tale of a dead friend and two Alabamian 30-somethings who do everything they can to avoid admitting the truth behind his passing. It's really yeah. funny. It's just the right kind of social awkwardness for me. And, it, and, it, and um, yeah, it really just, just resonates on so many levels. And my oh my, what a series of events. That is fucking sublime. I saw that movie the first day of the London Sundance Film Festival where we mm. had watched seven films that day. And that movie came on at 11 o'clock at night at the end of a long day. Madness. And sweet Christ, is that an interesting time to experience that particular <laughs> film? <laughs> Ideal for it, I would say. Yeah. Number 19, Dolomite is my name. As said, just career best for Eddie Murphy, I think, and Wesley Snipes. I yeah. think it's definitely my favorite performance of his, but just a really heartfelt story. It's another movie about making movies. Yeah. And it's, it's. I think it compares very favorably to The Disaster Artist, which was still a film about how weird its main character is. This movie yeah. has so much love for Rudy Raymore and the yeah. thing that he's created and is a much more straightforward and enjoyable story about the joys of trash cinema. Yeah. Watch Avenging Disco Godfather as well. It's great. Okay, we all will. <laughs> number number eighteen, Booksmart, directed by Olivia Wilde. There's the right, and again, the right kind of social awkwardness. Uh, yeah. This incredibly well observed and easily funny half half buildings Roman of two nerdy high school seniors who yeah. want to scrape a little fun out of their studious and tedious teenage years <laughs> before they go to college. Um, I can't remember the last time a supporting cast felt as fleshed out and fully formed yeah. as they are in this, and that care and love shows in the end product. Ladybird. It's just so sprawling in this. You feel yeah, like yeah. I know the whole school. It's amazing. <laughs> Um, number 18, The Souvenir. Did you get around to this? No. Ah, okay. Um, Joanna Hogg, real young British female talent to watch. She's fantastic and has made another film that is just extraordinarily personal and well-observed and claustrophobic. Mm. It's a story about um, essentially her own real-life um, disastrous relationship and the impact it had on her. Mm. And yeah the the legacy of it and she'll be making a follow-up to it the souvenir part two hopefully as soon as um people are able to do things again which will explore further the fallout of that relationship Num- number 17 portrait of a lady on lady uh scandal and sex <laughs> by the seductive thimble loads uh in this Oops, tale scandal. of a portraitist employed to paint a wealthy mother's daughter in secret uh yeah it's strong performances in the way that whiskey is strong um, certain shots of the main character's Eddie. faces, like Helen's face, will forever come yeah. back to me when I hear Vivaldi. And um, oh, yeah. the longing has left its trails in me that won't easily be washed away. But I will try. It's it's like um, it has that in common with Call Me by Your Name. And as much as when you yes. rewatch it, you just watch so much time that they could be together that they have to waste feeling protective and guarded around each other because yeah. they don't know if they're friends or foes yet. Oh God! It's finite, people. Come on, <laughs> double come time. On, fuck everyone. <laughs> um, in a good way. Seventeen. Speaking of fuck everyone, us. Jordan Peele's follow up to Get Out. Just an utterly terrifying and really quite compelling and very entertaining and amusing um tale of uh social horror in yes. um modern America, picking up once again on themes of racism and class difference and um yeah, just a a really quite fascinating little film that. Perhaps defies explanation even more so than Get Out. And I, I like that. Nice. I like my number 16, Little Women. Uh, so Greta Gerwig is a fantastic filmmaker and writer. Fuck and I yeah. love this adaptation with all its flourishes and touching details that made the sisters, yeah. sisters feel like soulmates. Uh, funny yeah. with great performances from everyone, but especially Saoirse Ronan and Florence Pugh. 
it should have had the recognition and awards at the Oscars, but yeah, we know. We know. <laughs> we know. We all know the truth. Number 16, Mark Camo's favourite film of last year, Bait. What, set in the cor- idiot. what an idiot. What an idiot. on the Cornish coast. It's about an idiot and his attempts <laughs> to um, rectify... Um, yeah, it's about uh, um, a Cornish man and his sort of complicated, well, not complicated, his hostile relationship with the tourists who are taking over the Cornish coast and destroying the fishing industry that's there. And yeah, it's just about the resentment that builds up there. It's fantastically shot in this sort of black and white, um, Murnau-esque, old camera work kind of mm. way. And yeah, it's just a real joy. Amazing. Number 15. Bombshell, a remarkable expose or telling of one of a litany of sexual abuse or misconduct yeah. cases of Fox News and the yeah. women who overcame fear, prejudice and pressure to come together. Amazing and powerful performances from Charlize Theron, Nicole Kidman and especially Margot Robbie, who managed to yeah. communicate a labyrinth of emotions and struggles with earth shattering mm. looks, wobbles or blinks, just gripping, mesmerizing stuff. Yeah, really fantastic portrayal of the systems that keep this kind of uh, thing going on. Yes. Uh, 15, The Two Popes. Mm. Um. Yeah, a really interesting film about uh, the relationship between Pope uh, Benedict the Sixteenth, I think, and uh, Pope Oh, the new one, the current one. Why are their names so long? Francis, Pope Francis. That's the one. <laughs> um. Long yeah. It's... <laughs> Why is it so long, Ed? Um. <laughs> it's just beautifully played Hopkins. by um. Shit. Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price. That's the ones, yes. They're yeah. brilliant in it. It's a wonderful back and forth between them. Extraordinarily well written. Really yeah. tender look at these two massive figures. And if it seems like a war's bait, it's not. There's more going on. It's about a really deep spiritual crisis. And this very ha- heartwarming idea that perhaps the old would recognize the need for the new. Hmm. Great. Maybe I'll get around to watching it. Number 14, yeah. 1917. Yeah, it's never a good place to put this. Uh, Sam, Sam Mendes, this has already got half an hour of Patreon time from us. Um, I yeah. loved it. Im- immersive, just so beautifully realised. Yeah. Um, horror elements, perfect yeah. character studies um, and, and uh, storytelling in here. Um, yeah. Just just a brilliant achievement. One of the most affecting death scenes I've seen in a long time as well. Number 14, Toy Story 4. Um, mm. Did we need it? Who cares? It's so much fun and it's really sweet and... A really interesting story um, that continues on this sort of uh, long analogy of the toys and the uh, their yeah. owners as various different aspects of the human experience, but this time focuses on the idea of just being your own person and uh, yeah. finding your own joy, and that's something that's really quite affecting. Great. Number 13, mm. Midsommar. Um, mm. For me, a way, way more comprehensive achievement than Hereditary. Um, it has yeah. a through line it sticks with. Jack Ringer yes. is uh, abominable in this. Florence Pugh <laughs> is perfect, and um, the community as a single character is a, is a terrifying prospect for me. Yeah. And um, yeah, just the the film just very obviously it feels like it's coming to its very obvious conclusion <laughs> as you're watching some of the weirdest <laughs> yeah. shit you'll ever see. Um, <laughs> and what a weird realization that is. Um, yeah, just just visually uh, unparalleled as well. Yeah, just, just I really love the bit where Florence Pugh dresses up in a bear costume and punches a woman in the face. She um, just hates those bees. <laughs> she hates them so much. When, how did it get burned? Number 13, <laughs> this is how it got burned. Monos is how. A <laughs> monumental well, work of sort of Kubrickian, oh, Francis Ford Coppola-style madness. It's epic vistas and a, a, a story of 
young kids who are up in the mountains having to safeguard a hostage on behalf of the warlord who commands them, purposely Mm. left without any nouns that might identify this as being any one particular country. This is just the story of child soldiers um, being kids and being naive and going a little bit insane together whilst having their innocence robbed from them. Hmm. Beautiful. Oh, and an amazing soundtrack by Mika Levy. Oh, nice. Okay. She'd be fractured. So the two films really wanted in my top 10. I wanted yep. the last few in my top 10 as well, actually. But uh, Midsommar was in there for a while. Anyway. <laughs> Number 12, Avengers Endgame. But going on how often a movie makes me cry um, is how I decide on um, many being in my top 10. <laughs> Avengers probably should have been in there. Um, but hey, 2019 has been quite a year. Uh, been really real... good. Yeah. Way what better a year. than last year. Yeah. God. <laughs> Um, comprehensive and satisfying end to a decade of storytelling. It leaves me wanting more. Yeah. Um, and the, the emotional beats, the crescendos, in fact, just don't lose potency for me. Thanks mm. for telling a story that actually works and ends. <laughs> Absolutely. Number 12, Booksmart, as already said, and as we shall be discussing further on Patreon. Really sweet character-driven drama that I just adored. Cool. Num- number 11, God, the one time my fears for resuscitating a series go unfounded, Toy Story 4. A new yeah. cast editions complement a new chapter in the lives of Woody and Buzz. Important life yeah. lessons for kids, perhaps, but resident reminders for adults that the end is not the end. The only way is forward. And cut two yeah. jokes still work as long as you don't get self-referential and have a plot to go around them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, number 11, this film, I, as soon as I saw it, I came home and put it in my top 10 list and it was there until yesterday. It was so closely nearly Ooh. in there. Um, it's, uh, it is um, Little Women. Um, yeah. Uh, directed by Florence Pugh, my brain's gone. (laughs) (laughs) Greta Gerwig's absolutely outstanding adaptation of the um, classic Alcott novel just has so many moments in it that just really resonate uh, with you and just bespeak a fantastic fantastic and fantastical time in sort of everybody's young life and has this extraordinary cast that are just breathtaking. Yeah. Now let's talk about our favourite films of the year. Okay. My absolute favourite film of the year. I saw it at the Melbourne Film Festival. Um, oh. Went alone. Couldn't convince uh, Nails to come and watch a Jesse Eisenberg movie. <laughs> Never. No. Uh, but me and all the other poor fools who were duped into it uh, didn't didn't stop laughing. And watching this <laughs> watching this in a room full of film fans was a really yeah. great way to go. It's the art of self-defence. Yeah. I want you to tell me why you're here. I'm afraid. I'm afraid of the dark. I'm afraid of other men. I want to be what intimidates me. You came to the right place. Which, um, yeah, starring Jesse Eisenberg as Casey, who's a sort of weak, a, a very weak, uh, timid guy who gets mugged by a bike biker gang and decides to start karate classes to um, get a bit more respect and be able to look after yeah. himself. Directed by Riley Stearns. He quickly becomes taken by the rules and order karate will bring to his life, uh, not least because of the, the charismatic sensei played by Alessandro Nivolo, who's mm. Pollux Troy, everyone. Um, <laughs> and you wouldn't fucking tell from looking at him. <laughs> this is this is a send-up of, of macho alpha male bullshit, basically. Yeah. The, the humour is so on the nose that it's actually incredibly smart. Um, yeah. Dro- dro- the way it drops jokes into the narrative... So unexpected. Things like that the sensei is guiding Casey Jesse Eisenberg through life, telling him how to be more manly and how to stand up for himself. And yeah. he's being to- told things like, well, you know, metal is the manliest genre, so you should stop listening to easy, <laughs> stop listening to adult contemporary. Yeah. 
you've got a German dog. Oh, he's a he's a he's a Dachshund. Okay, we'll probably probably have to send you over a better dog or Russian. Stop learning French. And and then it's and, and <laughs> yeah. it, like the sensei talking about Imogen Poots, who plays um yeah. the, the the best fighter in his dojo, but she yeah. will never be a black belt because she's a woman. Um, yeah. because women's hands are softer and their and 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 their skin is co- um warmer no colder so they'll never be good at fighting <laughs> he says i realized i realized now that her being a woman will prevent her from ever becoming a man <laughs> and, 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 and it's it is, it is so obtuse and it's so fucking <laughs> smart for it i think mean, again the brilliance yeah. is that the surrealism the wacko bizarro stuff that's been delivered here mm. is not really that far off of the, the typical arguments for this kind of thing um yeah it, it you know arguments that are bad for me and bad for you and bad for everyone bad for everybody and delivered in this way it's like a bucket of cold water where you just go god it's ridiculous yes and so is the whole <laughs> sphere of argument um relate relating to this it, and yeah you know it's littered throughout the film uh things like jesse eisenberg coming into the staff room at work and there are three guys there who are just talking like rating tits or talking about, mm, I think I might do some push-ups in a minute, and uh, they're, they're reading <laughs> magazines that just the, the magazine which just has the male symbol on it, and it's just page yeah. after page of breasts, and then are these mm. good breasts? Are these good breasts? And then <laughs> going advertisements, putting it out there like that as a series of gauntlets for Jesse Eisenberg to go through on his journey to becoming a man. Um, it it just creates such a wonderful like f- just flippancy about the whole mm. the whole business which again i think is just the best way of doing it you're not making a serious film about um about toxic masculinity but just completely ridiculing it and pulling it apart mm. like this it just reveals it yeah. for something that is as, as thoughtless and unconsidered as, as it is um it, it's a, it's a great escalation um a really great resolution because the it turns out, you know, he he's, he joins this karate group, but there's a sort of ulterior motive by um, from Pollux Troy, who's running it, and yeah. and the way the way it's resolved is just is fantastic as well. It was the 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 funniest funniest film of the year for me, and it just it resonated mm. on that really deep important level. So yeah, yeah, um, I love the measured lunacy of the thing. Yeah, I think so. It's setting out to do a lot of the same things as Fight Club did, but by being more overtly a comedy, I think it has less chance of being misinterpreted as an endorsement for toxic masculinity as yes. Fight Club did. Unless yeah. we do see a huge influx in the number of people taking karate classes as a result <laughs> of this film. Well, the, given the rating on IMDb of 6.5, my guess is that people have seen <laughs> this and gone, oh, this is bullshit, fucking cuck, beta male, bullshit. So, um, <laughs> Not enough tits. Yeah. <laughs> Imogen Poots didn't win. She's rubbish. She, it, it was true what they said. Um, I, my my, my favourite my favorite moment is just, I think, when he is told to... I mean, I, I really love the whole thing of... It's the strangest thing because his dog dies. It's like it's like he's he's definitely been kicked, but not with a foot, with a fist. Because they have all this talk yeah. about learning to punch with your feet and kick with your fist. Yeah. Fucking ri- ridiculous bullshit. It's that brilliant thing of raising the awareness of the ridiculous thing. You know, because you yes. take it to characters outside of the situation, and it's like, oh shit, that was real. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it's but for me, it's when he takes Sensei's advice to listen to some metal, which is of course the manliest genre of music. Yeah, it's very aggressive, and it's um oh I can't remember the name of the band that released it, but anyway, it's he picks it up and it's got that indecipherable metal mm. band logo on the front, <laughs> and he just very gingerly puts it on his cut in his car, and the volume is up to eleven as yes. this atonal <laughs> speed metal comes on 
and fills the car and fills the room and you just see his unmoving face as he's trying to see even too embarrassed to come to a decision in front of himself about something he doesn't like it it, it just pays off so nicely yeah this is your belt it is yours it is sacred there'll be a 15 dollar charge to replace a lost belt Okay, my number one favorite film of last year. Very hard to choose between this and um, Parasite, but I ended up going for the one that I saw halfway through last year um, at the Sundance Film Festival in the morning. It was the first film of the day when I saw Dick Long in the last film. Actually, second (laughs) after Apollo 11. So yes, this is The Farewell um, by Lulu Mm -hmm. Wang. What's wrong, Dad? Please tell me. My nan is dying. She doesn't know, so you can't say anything. The family thinks it's better not to tell her. Why is that better? Chinese people have saying, when people get cancer, they die. We'll have to go to China. Wedding is an excuse so everyone can see her. He's my only cousin. Don't you think I should be there? You can't hide your emotions. If you go, then we'll find out right away. Really? Zala? Hey. Really sublime uh, mediation, I guess, on uh, family, on culture, on responsibility, and on life and death. Ultimately, the story is about Billy, a young um, Chinese-American woman who hasn't lived in China in a very long time, who suddenly finds that her whole family is assembling because her grandmother has been diagnosed with a terminal lung cancer, um, and they have decided collectively to not tell her that she is dying. And mm. instead to hold a mock wedding so that everybody can say goodbye to her. They have not invited Billy because it is felt that she will not be unable to control her emotions and would let on about the ruse. Mm. However, Billy elects to go anyway. Billy is played by Aquafina in just a star-making turn that hopefully is going to lead to her getting way more than just bit parts in Jumanji uh, from now on. Oh, God. Um, I actually I actually love her now because of yeah, this. Yeah, <laughs> she's fucking amazing. I mean, I actually was really impressed by her. I remember it was her and another actress in Ocean's 8 that I thought, Christ, I wish we'd seen more of them. I think it might have been Mindy Kaling, mm. in fact. The Farewell, yeah, is hopefully the film that's going to really turn it around for her because she's extraordinary in this. As is the entire cast. It's another one of those movies. So many ensemble casts in our top tens this year. Mm. Just every member of this extended family has this tremendous sort of inner life that is really compelling. And every time you watch it, you could just focus on a different character and their journey throughout this entire fiasco and have their experience of everything. Um, I really love Billy's mother, uh, Diana Lynn. She's got this really great complicated relationship going on. She she has the standard daughter-in-law complex of, am I good enough for this family? Are they all looking down on me? Mm. That kind of thing. But also just added layers of um, having to try and, contain her own emotion because she just feels that it's more helpful to do so there's a great practicality to her that's really quite moving um basically for this fake wedding they've had to rope in some fucking kid this random cousin to marry his girlfriend and if you just watch him there he is it's uh chen han playing hao hao and yeah he's just utterly bewildered and lost throughout this whole thing because yeah. he has to marry this w- poor woman and she's great as as well he's uh, a japanese wife yeah. so uh, again it's this <laughs> uh, extra layer of language issue there that just makes the whole thing more awkward and it, it just feels so fabulously well observed even though this is an entirely you know different culture you can just see the sort of commonalities there and the the general humanity mm. 
And it's fascinating, the stuff that we don't have in common. The the wonderful sequence where they all go to the, the father's grave and bring with them these very obviously sold-for-the-purpose um, little yeah. things that they have to then burn at the graveside so that the after- the grandfather can have them in the afterlife. Like a little uh, paper phone and such, and um, yeah. various foods and stuff that they all share and eat around the grave. And you just think, wow, what a fantastic way of keeping this dead relative alive in their hearts you know and 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 yeah just going around and having them rather than just you know a picture on the mantle it's really sweet and it it does explore a little bit some of the cultural differences um between east and west um in somewhat broad terms this idea of collective identity versus communal responsibility um Mm. and just this agonizing decision at the heart of it where you do get pulled in and wonder yeah. What is the ethical thing to do here, you know? And, mm. oh, man, it's just really, really sublime. Yeah, no, definitely. It deals with these huge sweeping questions, yeah. but at the same time, it focuses on these really cute little details yeah. that make the film, you know. It's, it's, some of them are just hilarious, yeah. and, and some of them are just so so cute, whether it's the family dynamic of people vying for favoritism from, from parents yeah. and saying well i've i've loved china all the time actually yes. <laughs> I, I i i i haven't supported america at all and, yeah these weird or, flexes or, that everybody has of sort of being the yeah. most the most chinese of everyone and it's yeah. just, uh, but also just this awkward. weird fascination that everyone she meets has with america where you know remember the bellboy who shows her bags up to the room and he's like yeah. oh you probably prefer america a lot more right that's probably a lot nicer yeah. you know and just this constant sort of curiosity about it yeah well <laughs> I lived there for a couple of years and um, the the benefits of this is really enjoying Aquafina's slow delivery of Mandarin (laughs) um, as she sort of goes between English and Chinese. Yeah, because she's Um, a stranger in her own culture because she's been away for so long. That was really enjoyable. But at the same time, the the tiny little questions that she's asked about America and about life there and just about her in general are almost verbatim what you get asked (laughs) as a foreigner being over there. So it was just really lovely to have that um, brought to, brought to life in a really loving, um, like sympathetic way. Mm. Um, I just, just loved all those little details, yeah. all those tiny little bits. Um, <laughs> it just, every, every family member felt like a, a real person. Yeah, and definitely. It seems like such an obvious thing to, to have in a movie, but um, sometimes you feel it way more than others. Yeah, and I'm overlooking here um, Nainai, the actual grandmother herself, yeah. uh, whose name is uh, irritatingly low on this fucking list. Um, okay, uh, <laughs> ZH, I'm pronouncing. J. J. Joe, of course, it's my yeah. flatmate's fucking name. Um, <laughs> Cho Shu Zhen. Uh, Zhen, then. Z H E N. Z H E N? Yeah. Zhen. Yeah, she as Nainai is just really great she, she's such a warm character such so mm. effortlessly the heart of this family and the just the the focal point around it which everyone hovers and my favorite sequences have to involve her it might be her teaching her um billy some tai chi mm. moves um on the street which is really lovely but i think my favorite <laughs> yeah. scene is the wedding because it's just yeah everybody gets a chance to shine in that wedding everybody's emotions are really high Oh, I fucking I, oh god! More characters. The dad and his brother have such a sweet relationship with each other, yeah. um, and the scene where they're found smoking together, yeah, is really quite something. But the brother, who has been a sort of very upright and proper um, guy the whole time, breaking into tears at the wedding is just yeah, 
everyone gets a chance to sort of really expose themselves at that wedding and it's oh man what a film yeah this is my number two uh mm. my my favorite scene again it's hard to say the wedding is amazing I've, i mm. particularly love the time the dad's brother takes aquafina aside yeah just to I, I can't remember what it is he reminds her about but it's the the way it's repeated and yes it's when they're walking to the hotel i was trying to remember yeah. this it's it's like don't mention best it. not to tell yeah. her or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He just says it over and over yeah. again on the way. And, and, yeah. and I think her, her response is just shit over and over again. Yeah, it is. Shit, <laughs> shit. Yeah, it's perfect. Oh, very quiet, so soft, lovely comedy moment there. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> And that's that's it, pretty much, yeah. for our favorite movies of the year. Jesus. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about two of those entries on Patreon. Yeah. Uh, so be sure to head over there. But meanwhile, we've got some other things to get on to. What about the fucking OG team? OG team time. OG team? What are you doing here? Now. I put out a post that was just a picture of Willem Defoe's face. <laughs> and they took this as an invitation to talk about their favorite movies of 2019. Oh, good. That's handy. What are the chances? Okay, Blockbusters podcast said, yeah. not sure about top 10, but in no particular order, Avengers Endgame, Ford versus yep. Ferrari, or Le Mans 66, Knives Out, oh, yeah. 1917, Parasite. Good stuff. Uh, that's yeah. good stuff. Yeah. A lot of a those lot. made it into our list. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. really good. And I really enjoyed Ford versus Ferrari. I, I thought Christian Bale was playing Steve Coogan or Alan Partridge <laughs> a little bit. Um, I think I good watched way. it a- I think I watched it at a bad time. It was right in the middle of the London Film Festival. It was utterly surrounded by films that were completely reinventing their genres and, yeah. you know, changing things. And it was evoking feelings in me that I didn't know I had. And it just seemed like a really standard sports movie. So yeah. I could do with watching it again. It really, really, really grabbed me as a really entertaining and funny underdog story. Hey, I've liked a film by the director, so. <laughs> nice. Um, Christopher Bond. Says mm. Avengers Endgame, Knives Out, uh, Joker, Spider-Man, Far From Home, and 1917 mm. in this order. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I adore Avengers Endgame. I really wanted to yeah. be in the top 10. Um, yeah. But I, I I think I preferred Infinity War, and that was, oh. in, you know, was in my top 10. Um, I, right. But, I have uh, to say, I, I did but, vastly prefer uh, Endgame. That might be an interesting discussion to have at some stage, the sort yeah. of pros and cons of them, but... Yeah, I really loved Endgame. I don't think I featured cool. Infinity War in my 30 last year. No, it's crazy. Yeah. You're a crazy, crazy. man. A um, crazy mad dog. But but Avengers Endgame, I'm just so, in retrospect, so thankful for a film, just a series just fucking ending properly yeah. in a way that's satisfying <laughs> to me. So huge bonus there. Beyond the box set says, obvious answer that Parasite was da bomb. Uh, Fuck yeah. We agree. After the batshit glory of her- Hereditary, Midsommar didn't disappoint. Knives Out was an yep. absolute treat. I'm still salty that Hustlers got snubbed at the Oscars and Brightburn deserved yeah. far better than it got. I never saw Brightburn. It came out and it looked interesting. I didn't get around to it. Yeah, and same. Hustlers was on my list of stuff to try and catch up on for this yeah. this here episode, but it just... Ah, uh. uh, I loved Hustlers. Hustlers was actually great. <laughs> it probably it probably should have been in my top 30 if I'd have remembered. <laughs> but um, yeah, that was, a, that was an excellent film. I will um, get around to it. Cool. Uh, you know what I like? Said, I'm horrendously bad at going to the cinema, but loved Little Women, Sophie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. L- just joyous. So, moving over to Facebook, I think we had one or two there. Yeah, we had 
We had a Jen. Jen Blundell says, I managed a whole <laughs> nine films last year. My favourite was Jojo Rabbit, followed by Parasite, Waves, Avengers Endgame, Knives Out, Scales, London Film Festival, courtesy of Saudi Arabia, oh, yes. Perfect Candidate, LFF, Iran, Dolor y Gloria, uh, mm. and lastly, by Quite Away, as I really enjoyed all the other films I saw, The Dead Don't Die. Oh, uh, yeah. I think that's the, yeah. <laughs> Which was interesting and but a yeah. bit... Oh. Huh. I would not have recommended that to a Jen. <laughs> I'm not surprised that... Yeah, I mean, I didn't know. I didn't know. Even I didn't know what to make of it. So poor Jen. So it <laughs> so didn't start as condescending like... as it was. <laughs> uh, no, she continues. I think that's the order I'm going with. I'm most certain about Jojo. That film was hilarious and heartbreaking. There yeah. are a couple of films I still want to see. I should probably see Uncut Gems then. First and foremost, A Farewell, <laughs> which I suspect I will love. Thanks, Paul yeah. Salt, for making sure my film education continued last year. <laughs> doesn't, go in, doesn't go in to mention all the good stuff I did for her. <laughs> All that, all that reasonable mail that you send. <laughs> it's like hate mail, but moderate. You'd be resistant to centrism. <laughs> Thanks, OG team. Centrism. Thanks, OG Thanks team. Thanks for sticking with us for uh, another year. Really made oh, that feel like wow. a chore, didn't I? <laughs> Fantastic. Um, we're just going to briefly, fucking briefly, talk about oh, the ten highest-grossing films of the year and our general thoughts on them. Um, number ten. The 10th highest grossing film of the year was Jumanji Next Level. Didn't see it. Yeah, pretty fun. Oh, it was fun. It was unchallenging. It was a good, you know, follow-up from last year. Mm. It had Aquafina in it. Yeah, it was fine. It was just a... I, I, I don't know if I've yet been blown away by a Dwayne The Rock Johnson film, but this was on the upper end of that. Fast Five is about I... as good as it gets. Yeah, it, yeah. And as good His as it gets. Sort of... Yeah, I think so. It was fine. Aladdin, oh dear. <laughs> Uh, it had its moments, but I'm really still not sold on these live-action Disney adaptations. I don't no. feel like they've justified their existence yet, although it's not e- as egregious as The Lion King. Great. Number eight, Toy Story 4. Great. Yeah, deserves. Wonderful film. Very well-deserved. Wonderful film. Number seven, Rise of Skywalker. It was going to happen, I guess. Yeah, everyone's going to go and see Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> well, you're going to find out, aren't you? Um, <laughs> What a shame. What a shame that the sequel trilogy has a bo- a bad ending. Yeah. It always will. Yeah. Just have to try and imagine it was just a twofer. Twofer. Number six, Joker. Now, Joker's an interesting little case. It was mm. mentioned there, and I know it was Matthew Whitaker's favorite film of last year. I, I, I enjoyed Joker well enough. Yeah. But very much like The Irishman, it was a film that I found good whilst I was watching, and the further praise it got, the more accolades it picked up, mm. the more frustrated I became. And I guess this is the mindset of people who feel that things are overrated. And it's not a good mindset because I enjoyed the film fine. And the fact that everybody loved it more than I did doesn't affect anything. No. And yet it had this weird sense of, I don't know, injustice <laughs> in my stomach. And it's an interesting feeling that I think is worth dissecting at some stage. Yeah, okay. Got some energy, but yeah. Yeah, I, I, I really liked it. It, um, yeah. it sort of took a middling place on my on my list when it was um, a, a smaller mm. list. And then I saw more films. Yeah. I think Joaquin Phoenix was fucking fantastic, as as expected. He was very good. It's bloody very good bloody brilliant. I mostly, yeah, really enjoyed the the look and the 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 mm-hmm. feel of the piece. Number five, Captain Marvel movie. I really loved. That's really I was very fun. happy to. Yeah, really good stuff. Uh, Spider Man Far From Home, yeah, cool. as we discussed, good stuff. Number three, Frozen Two. That's quite cool. That's a weird animated film. I haven't I haven't seen it. I yeah. can't be bothered. <laughs> I like it. It's got some good songs, some really nice, um, sweet moments to it. From bloody what's a face? The the mum in Uncut Gems pool plays Elsa <laughs> in Frozen. Oh Jesus, that's Idina Menzel. Yeah, 
Yeah. What a range. And you can see Anna in the good place. Okay, number two, this stings a bit, The Lion King, because <laughs> this is the worst one I've seen so far. Of all the live-action Disney animations, I really dislike The Lion King. Aww. It just seemed like a poor retreading of the same material with animals with less expressive faces. I'm, 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 yeah, it, it, it seemed like just completely pointless. I don't, I don't, I don't see the point in the remakes at all. I'm curious yeah. about Mulan, I guess. Yeah. Well, uh, the only reason I'm curious about Mulan is that I never actually saw the animated version. I oh, think. you should watch the um, yeah. original because it's excellent. Um, yeah. V- like visually, really great and um, mm. good story. So um, yeah, it's classic yeah. Disney. I'd be because this one seems different. They're giving Mulan crouching tiger hidden dragon powers. So I'm curious to see how they're still going to make this relevant to female empowerment. <laughs> hey, they can all do it if they believe hard enough. Um, <laughs> if number fly. one, Avengers Endgame. Yep. It's deserved. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Fucking great. Yeah. Really great film. So that's the top 10 box office. Some distressing stuff there. I really would like it if this trend for Disney remakes could end. And Disney's just complete overwhelming control of the box office is a little bit disturbing. Um, and it's actually, you know what, regardless of what I felt about Joker, it's actually really good that a kind of independently made weird yeah. character driven, um, movie could t- gross that high. Yeah. So I should stop being such a stick in the mud. I haven't been too distressed about it. This is the first time I've looked at box office in a year <laughs> and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll look back at it next year and I'll go, hmm, that's <laughs> dumb. Typical. I'd say the film industry's fine. Anyway. <laughs> in conclusion, two and a half hours later. Two and a half hours later, fuck me. We were also going to talk about our favorite film of the decade. It's Inception. Yeah. Never mind about that. Yep. Inception's wham. great. Go watch that. Uh, yeah. Where can people find out about Inception? Uh, well, yeah. On Facebook and Twitter, OGT Pod is the best way to find out about Inception <laughs> and the films of Christopher Nolan. Uh, we're part of the A Lot of Green Network. With, if you want to hear about us and other really, really good Australian podcasts, then you just need to go to alotofgreen.com.au and you can do that there now. Uh, we have a Patreon where... For as little as one dollar a month, you get exclusive to to. Hmm. You get free shit. You get loads of extra content, and yeah. it's great. Uh, we have a uh, Rise of Skywalker pitch. Uh, we fix that proper good. <laughs> Fucking hell, my brain is not doing words anymore. Um, bye everyone. Bye. Um, Listen to oh, the previous one. If, and if you wanna, if you wanna check out the, if you've been listening to Roltercast and you've been digging the soundtracks, they're now available on my SoundCloud page, and uh, link will be in the episode description. So you can get listening. Thanks. Yeah, good stuff. Thank you everyone for listening. I'm Paul Chart. No. <laughs> Remember, the one good thing about 2019 was that it was the best year for cinema since 2017. Fuck you, 2018. Dick. Dick! <laughs>